Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. It is Monday, October 29th, 2018, and Caesar is home. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the MMA Hour right here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. On the docket today, well, biggest show we've ever done. We're adding an extra half hour at the beginning just to accommodate everything. A bunch of guests are going to be here. Let's see. Let's go through them. Number one, Israel Adesanya is going to be here ahead of his UFC 230 fight. Anthony Smith, fresh off of his UFC Moncton win, is going to be here. The CEO of KSW, Martin Lewandowski, will be in studio. How about that? That's kind of fun. David Branch, who had his whole situation change at UFC 230. He will join us. And then last but not least, the new darling of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, Ben Askren, will be here as well. Plus all of your tweets using the hashtag the MMA Hour. All of your calls at the number, as it always is, 844-866-2468. We'll have the sound off, the Monday morning analyst, the tweets, the weigh-in, the whole thing. So much to get to. Look, we added a 30-minute window to this because we just couldn't accommodate everything. Uh, we won't be doing five guests very often. This was not on purpose. It kind of fell in place like this. But we thought, you know what? It's UFC 230 fight week. Let's start the week off right. So with that being said, uh, can we jump to my buddy, Danny Segura, very, very quickly? Let's just check in with the old main man himself. Dan's, how you doing, boss? Good. You out there, buddy? Yep, I'm Yeah, I know. The camera angles are switched up because we're going to do the Monday Morning Analyst early here. No analogies today, huh? No time. Oh, you know what? No time to waste. No time for that anymore. But you know how you are the... um, you are the Ahiako to my Bogota. How about that? Oh, that, that, that means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> you are that to me, my friend. All right. Uh, good weekend. Um, both of our teams suffered horrendous defeats in recent days. But yes. aside from that, uh, I thought UFC Moncton had some great fights. Yeah, great fights. Um, pretty pretty good night of fights, you know, despite not having too much star power. And uh, big news also that broke uh, throughout the week as well. So, That's right. Week. That's right. And uh, very quickly, I don't get a chance to talk about Calvin Cater on today's Monday Morning Analyst, but I wanted to give a big shout to him. Uh, this gentleman, I forget his first name, but Fishgold, I thought really brought the fight to him. But like, uh, so I, get my, I take my hat off to him, but uh, you know, like Calvin Cater, he fell short against Hanato Moicano. Big deal. Lots of guys fall short against Hanato Moicano. Very, very talented fighter. Thought this was a great comeback win, a savvy performance. So I'm not going to give him a spotlight on the Monday Morning Analyst, but I did want to say something. I think he's a very, very talented featherweight, and I really appreciated that performance from him. Any other standouts to you besides... Some of the more obvious ones? For me, it was Anthony Smith. I know that's that's the obvious one, but everybody was riding sort of the, the, the bandwagon. You know, he beat Shogun, he beat, you know, Rashad Evans. And for me, I was never really, not that I wasn't impressed because he, he put on good performances, but to me, given where they were in their career, it didn't mean much. But this was, a, he beat a real contender in Volkan Ozdemir. Yeah. So for me, it woke me up and I'm like, oh, snap. This guy's legit. Biggest win of his career, by oh, far, yeah. if you ask. By far. Uh, I was so impressed with what he did. We are going to talk about him on the Monday Morning Analyst. Very quickly, the tweets and the calls give me a sense of things. Give me, if, like, if it was like a, if it was a glass of wine and you were smelling it, what did, what did you pick up on the nose of these, of these inquiries? 
a very, very strong body here, I sense. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of questions came in midweek, just given the fact that the biggest news was in, in the middle of week. Course. So we're going to get a lot of Asker and DJ questions. Okay. And uh, we'll address also a few things uh, from, you know, this this weekend's fights as well. But mostly uh, Asker and DJ, that's the hot topic. It was the biggest news. Yeah. All right, we don't have a moment to waste, so let's get right to that. We'll check in with you a little bit later in the show. Sounds good. All right, my friend. With that being said, it is time now for the weigh-in. All right, as I mentioned, let's do the weigh-in here on the MMA Hour to kick things off on the show, as we customarily do. And here is my basic uh, belief, my my declaration to start today's show. The Askren-DJ trade is good for MMA, period, and especially for three different reasons. And I want to go through them. This subject has been talked about to death, but I've seen a lot of consternation I've seen a lot of negativity, and I've seen just a lot of questions being asked. As Danny mentioned, we'll get to some of those on the sound off. We'll have Ben on the show later. But I want to start the day by just acknowledging how great this is. And if you've heard negative things, it's not to say that the deal is perfect, because no deal is. It's not to say that there's not even any causes for a potential concern down the line, but it's to spotlight three reasons, three reasons why this trade is good for MMA. The first reason is that it's basically good for the fighters. I mean, I saw so many people out there saying like, oh my God, the UFC, the UFC did DJ dirty. Um, his team not only wanted it, they appear to have engineered it. How dirty can you be have done to you? That even makes sense grammatically. Uh, if you're the one who sought this out, it doesn't make any sense. His team, apparently through Mokikawa, were the ones that created this idea. And at a bare minimum, even if they didn't, they had no problem signing on to it. This is not something they got arm twisted into. They appear to have spearheaded the effort. You got to be kidding me. So if DJ wants it, and you have seen Ben Askren on Twitter, and if he wants it, why are you complaining? (laughs) One wants it. UFC wants it. Fighters want it. Case closed. Now you could say, well, it's good for the fans or it's bad for the fans. I think it's good. We'll get to that later. But the first point is, it's good for the fighters. All of them have bought in on it. And the guy who appeared to be getting the worst end of the deal is the one who may have engineered it. You have to be kidding me. By the way, there's a couple of the benefits here. As DJ gets older in his career, he won't get fed to the wolves like so many guys do who hang around the UFC. He'll be able to tailor his way out. He'll have sponsors back again, right? you got to imagine all of these streaming companies like Twitch and whoever else are probably chomping at the bit um, to be a part of that. He's going to be able to to get all that money, right? Um, By the way, fighters won't get stuck in contracts that are super long anymore. And Askren finally gets an opportunity that he has richly deserved. Like, this is great for the fighters. I'm really struggling to understand what is so bad about it on that level. So you might say, okay, well, maybe it is good for the fighters, Luke. But is it good for the promoters? Yeah, pretty clearly it is good for the promoters. You have the UFC opening up their doors to a degree to something that they don't normally do, namely cooperation. Ladies and gentlemen, in mixed martial arts, cooperation breeds ingenuity. It breeds possibility. It breeds new heights, heretofore unexplored. Look, Mayweather-McGregor might have been a crazy fight, 
and maybe it didn't even need to get made, but it's cooperation that made things possible. Look at Mayweather versus Pacquiao. You had half of HBO and half of Showtime or half of Golden Boy or whatever, all mixed together. Mayweather promotions, not Golden Boy. But you get the idea. The broadcast was split between the Showtime broadcast and the HBO broadcast. The two worlds had to unite. It made for better things. Folks, I don't know what's next, but if other promoters can at least borrow a scintilla of this cooperative spirit, it's good for them. They get fighters who've been locked under contracts. They can make fights heretofore they couldn't make. And if they get the fighters to buy in on it, great. And you could say, well, look, what if they don't get the fighters to buy in? The contract shows they can be transferred. Number one, that's not how this deal happened. And number two, the fighters have pretty much made clear at this point that they don't give a damn about collective bargaining. They don't really care about any of that. So if they don't care about any of that, I'm struggling to understand at this point why I'm supposed to. They've been presented with the facts, and they basically said, no thanks. Okay, well, the situation is what the situation is. But it gives the promoters some flexibility. It gives them some, some opportunity. And I think it creates for some unique possibilities. Bring down the walls a little bit and allow for this transference. And last but not least, certainly, I do think it's good for the fans. Look, in the case of Askren, if you're a fight fan, you get to get some of the questions answered. And maybe it'll all blow up in Askren's face, or maybe he'll go on to do incredible things. But part of being a fight fan is getting the answers to questions. The, the octagon, the ring, the cage, whatever, it's a laboratory. It's a laboratory, and every fight is a science experiment. And there are always two sides. This side thinks this outcome is going to happen, and that side thinks this outcome is going to happen for their various reasons. Let's see who's right. And whenever you do that, you get a chance to potentially sometimes rewrite how we even understand the universe. Maybe if you're a hater out there and you think Askren's going to fail, maybe you think this is a giant waste of time, you will be proven right potentially. Or maybe you believe, you know what, there's a real possibility that a guy who has developed a style of fighting that many other high-level fighters have borrowed from, even at age 34, he might be able to do incredible things. What if Askren goes on to become a UFC champion? Now what? Now are you going to look back on this deal and say, boy, I'm sure glad, I'm sure, I'm sure miserable that um, these walls are broken down. This cooperative spirit fostered this opportunity. You have to be crazy. So in either case, you get to have these experiments that have been long denied to us. And I think more importantly, if you're a fan of Demetrius Johnson, as I mentioned, you're going to say, wow, he, he's going to have the sponsors back. He's not going to have to be fed to the wolves as he ages out. And more importantly, he's going to be fighting under a new rule set. Right? You're talking about a guy who's so creative, so different, so smart. He's now going to be emboldened by that, especially with a lower level of competition. Right? That's good for you. That's good for you. So people keep saying, well, is it aspirin for a DJ trade worth it? The answer is nobody knows. Nobody knows. But here's what I do know. There are reasons for optimism, whether you're the fighter, whether you're the promoter, or whether you're the fan. That's the way in. All right. With that out of the way, it is time, ladies and gentlemen, to do the next bit in the show. It is time for the Monday Morning Analyst. All right. Look at here, look at here. Uh, okay, welcome everyone. So usually on a show like this, I just like to cover the fights that happened over the weekend. We are going to do that. I'm going to look very quickly at your co-main event. Well, actually, not your co-main event. I'm going to look at the uh, Misha Serkinov win, 
because I, I didn't catch it in real time, and I saw it afterwards, and it was amazing. People were blowing me up about it. And then, of course, the Anthony Smith finish as well. Um, here's the thing. I, I, I can't come up here and not talk about Ben Askren. You have to get to Ben Askren, right? But I thought, what am I going to do? Because I want to give a special shout-out to somebody. He's not even involved in the company, but the work is so good. It would be promotional malpractice for me to not mention it. Uh, BJJ Scout. If you guys have never heard of him, you can check him out on YouTube. It does a lot of BJJ scouting, but it's a lot more than that. It's a lot of striking. It's a lot of wrestling. He has done a, I, I think it's probably the best work he's ever done, to be quite honest, or she, whoever it is. Um, it's a five-part breakdown of Ben Askren's game, all the way from cross-body rides to mat returns to wrist control to some of the metagame that he incorporates. I can't possibly match that either in this format or any other one. So I strongly encourage you to go watch that. But I thought, what could I make use of for today? The big knock on Ben Askren, such as it exists, is allegedly the Luis Santos fight. Now, this was the one that ended in the first round with uh, an eye poke. They tried to make a rematch. Santos ended up duffing on the whole thing, and they never did. It's the one no contest on Ben Askren's otherwise flawless record. And there's an interesting vibe that's happening around Ben Askren, it's almost like a combination of two different worlds. So on the one hand, do you remember before the UFC 229 main event between Habib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor, a lot of folks were saying, oh man, Michael Johnson, he he really tuned, uh, excuse me, he tuned Habib up, he really got after him. And then you go back and you look at the footage and you're like, well, he did land some nice shots, but this is way overblown, totally overblown. The reality was, Habib Nurmagomedov headed into that Conor McGregor fight as a fighter who'd never been knocked down or knocked out, including that Michael Johnson fight. They were just, yes, he got got hit with some good shots, no doubt about it, but it was way overblown. So it's partly that. People are taking this Luis Santos fight, and there are some criticisms to make of it, but they're way overblowing some of the uh, results here. On the other side, you're getting a bit of this Nick Newell vibe where people are saying, I don't know how good he is. We, we can't wait to find out. We won't only know if he gets a chance to compete, which I generally agree with. Like, how good is he? I think he's very good, but the reality is until he gets a chance to test himself against the very best in a contemporary way, there's no way to know. He was fighting some of the best years ago in Bellator, like Douglas Lima, and he had no problems, but today's a different day, right? So, so that's the issue. He's coming to it from two different spots. So I'm going to show you Ben Askren uh, basically at his alleged worst. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because if this is his worst, the arguments against him are not very good. Luis Santos has, what, 80 professional fights, something like that, something that nearly that. Never fought in the UFC. I'm not presenting him as the world's toughest welterweight. Here's what I am going to say. Like the Michael Johnson fight against Habib Nurmagomedov, if that's the most negative thing you can say about him, there are some negative things to say, but they're not that serious. Let's go to the tape here if we can a little bit. I'm not going to show the whole thing. The quality is not great because your boy had to, you know, work some magic on the internet to find some of this footage, if you know what I'm saying. But here we have it's Luis Santos, it's Ben Askren. All right, Ben fails to get the takedown, told of that, that alleged eye poke. And folks are going to say, well, what happened between then? 
What you're gonna notice is Askren's always in this orthodox stance, and what he's really looking for is he'll shoot a double on occasion, especially if he's against the fence, but he's always looking for upper body ties, either from a 50-50 or if you give him double unders, forget about it. Um, but he's always looking for that 50-50, much like Habib Nurmagomedov. If you recall, Habib Nurmagomedov against Daryl Horcher, they had 50-50, but Habib was able to take his own elbow, even with the underhook on this side from Horcher, and then just pin it to his own body, gable grip, and then take him over that direction. Uh, uh, excuse me, Ben Askren is very similar in that regard. So let's just go through this a little bit. You're going to notice that Luis Santos does successfully defend the takedown here. A lot of it is um, throwing kicks, which I don't think is really all that smart. You could say, well, he got away with it, but I don't, I don't think that's going to go all that well. As a strategy, I don't think it's a good idea. And what you're going to notice is Ben is really good about ducking punches. He's really good about timing when someone leaves their balance to get a strike involved, excuse me, to get a takedown involved. And this guy's coming. He's telegraphing from one side. Ben shoots to the other side here, wraps up with him. And then you're going to see this is going to, he's going to try, uh, excuse me, um, Santos is going to try and get a, uh, so let me go through this one more time. But Askren here wants the body lock, can't get it, can't get it. He's going to come around the corner to get a double. This wizard is going to save him. This is going to be Santos. Plants his hand on the mat, keeps his hips facing the mat. Now you see Askren coming over, switching the takedowns here, looking to drive him in the opposite direction. You can see he's got the body lock here. And what Santos is going to do, a bit of an Uchimata throw here while his weight is going forward. This is a nice counter from Santos, but I want to point this out. It puts him here. They go to the, the thing, and I'm doing frame by frame here, so chill out, 1FC, or whatever, 1. And you see him go to deep half, right? Now he's threatening deep half on the other side. So even though he's been countered, Askren is working underneath. Look, he's being protected. He's not hardly taking any damage. He's now looking, uh, uh, Santos is, to separate the, the head from the body. With the, he's got the overhook here, but this won't save you. Now, ultimately, Askren bails on it. He takes to an elbow and gets back to his hands right, and his knees, tries to re-go for like a low single here just to hang on, and it doesn't work. Now, folks will say, Boy, doesn't that speak poorly of Ben? I would say the opposite. I would say, yes, he got countered, and that's not great. But number one, that's a high-energy throw. Number two, he took no damage. And number three, you can see how fast he goes from a body lock to a double to a, uh, another kind of body lock trip to then deep half, and the whole time he's making you move. So, yes, that was a failed takedown attempt, and then, of course, you get that. Let's fast forward here just a little bit if we can. Let's go to something else. I got a bunch of these. I don't want to go through all of them. All right, here's another one, all right? So they're standing out here. What happens? Askren waits, boom, goes to the opposite side, takes a bit of a shot there to the body, but he's on the other side, so it's less impactful. Gets his hands around it. Now Santos is strong in this position, and he's going to be able to counter even with double overhooks to get a trip. Plants his hand on the mat, which is correct. And what do you always want to do? You want to have your hips facing the mat, which he does. He comes over like this. Askren gets that right knee inside, which saves him from getting mounted. But you're going to notice, once again, already looking for like a borderline waiter sweep at this point. He's going to get underneath here. He's going to pull it over him. And now he's going to begin to do more work. What's this going to do? He's going to then come around the other side. He's going to look for a funk roll here. Let me fast forward just a little bit. Right? Here we are. You see him. He's going to have this leg. He wants to be able to turn. Askren does. He wants to be able to turn base down, which you'll see in just a minute. All right, here we are. This is the funk roll he's looking for. 
Now, Santos is holding that bottom leg with two hands because if you can keep his legs separated, that's going to give him the ability to come straight out. It's when the legs get locked up that you can get caught and something else can happen. So he's got the right defense. He's preventing any kind of lock from happening. Askren wants to roll over here. Kind of can't because he's kind of trapped as well. So he comes back the other way, decides to go for a heel hook, and eventually, hang on, eventually Santos is able to get the knee past the hip line and then basically just stand out as Askren lets go. So you're going to say once again, oh, look, this is terrible for Ben. Right. It's a failed takedown. That's right. It's not his best moment. I agree. But what I'm pointing out is he can do this all day long without really getting tired, and he's taking no damage. And, and by the way, even if he gets underneath, he's immediately working. By the way, here's the other component here. He's able to establish contact every time. He's getting either double unders or he's getting 50-50 every time. Every time he's getting it. Here's another one. Let's see what happens here. Kind of fakes, punches his way in. This is the one I didn't like, right? Comes up underneath. Collar ties here a little bit, right? Punches his way through. And here kind of does a Randy Couture bit where he does just some dirty boxing. Takes a little more punch from here than I would like. And you can see he just punches his way through here, right? That's what he's doing as I go frame by frame and not play the video. Right? Frame by frame here. See, this I didn't like. But he also appears to have a really good chin. Let's fast forward just a little bit more because I don't want to spend too much time on this. This is the one where he ultimately apparently uh, pokes him in the eye. Let me get out of the way here so you can see. Right? Fishing for the hands. He's got good distance. He's going to look at his timing here. He waits, gets out of the way of the punch, and then immediately wraps up. A bit like Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey would wait for the punch and then throw what people call a hanger over the top or some kind of like hook around the top of the head. In judo, they'll grab the lapel here. And then they'll grab the lapel here. They'll also grab the lapel at the top, right where the, right where the tag of a, of a, of a um, BJJ2. They'll grab the tag. You, got, you can really, you know, you can yank, you switch with two hands. So if you have like a collar and then a sleeve, you can do a lot of snap downs or whatever. He comes in and immediately changes the angle. Now Santos thinks his eyes have been, have been uh, damaged. And he goes down. So you're going to say, Luke, why did you show me all this footage about Ben Askren that's supposed to make him look bad? Remember what the argument is. The argument is, this is, by all accounts, the worst Ben Askren has ever looked. This is the bottom, right? This is as low as it gets, allegedly, for him. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's the worst it gets for you, you're doing great. Trust me, you're doing great. Now, what does that portend for the elite of the division? It'll be hard to say, but here's my point. Once he gets wrapped up on you, he can switch takedowns over and over and over again. If he gets countered with a throw, like an Uchimata or something else, he can work underneath very quickly. He's known for the funk rolls that you saw there before. Santos had a good game plan around it. He took no damage. He came back and found a way to get the takedown. This guy ultimately duffed on the rematch, by the way, not Askren. Um, and... It was only about two and a half minutes. Habib Nurmagomedov misses on a lot of his takedown attempts. It's just that once he gets it and gets you down, it's, it's a wrap for you. It's the same for him. So how good is Ben Askren? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. But if that's the very worst he's ever looked, that is not a strong argument that this is a talent that is not good. I would argue just the opposite. That's, if this is your low light, um, you're a damn good fighter. It's my argument. Now, with that out of the way, with the time we have remaining, 
So we have, uh, let's jump to UFC Moncton. Two fights we'll show here very, very quickly. Here's Anthony Smith taking on um, uh, Volkan Uzdemir. Quick caveat. Smith does some things here that are by the textbook not quite correct. But what I wanted to make a note of is that if you're as tired as he was and as hurt as he was, it's not that they don't matter because the correct, it's like, what, what, what is correct versus not correct? Correct is about what is ultimately successful at a high percentage. So like correct is what is hard to break. Correct is what finishes easily. Correct is what makes you balanced. So it's not correct as in like, oh, we needed to look correct for artsy sake. There's a functional assessment there involved in that grade of, of correct or not correct. But it doesn't matter because he gets the job done, and I'm not going to dock him for it. I just sort of want to point that out. He doesn't do everything altogether all that great. So this is a nice double. He uh, does like a – it's actually not a double. Excuse me. It's a knee tap, right? He has the over. He's, he has the underhook here. He's driving that shoulder up while he blocks this leg. And he's not – he does kind of drive him straight back, but you can notice by the way the hand is posting, he's kind of driving him at an angle. So you block this side. You just go like this, like a steering wheel. Um, Daniel Cormier's got these. St. Pierre had one on Tiago uh, Alves. Uh, that was incredible at UFC 100. He shot a double expecting Alves to rip him up off of his hips. And when he did, he just turned it into a knee tap. Brilliant, right? So here's the knee tap. He takes him over. And then they come crashing down. He goes right into side control. So this is what I mean when he says, like, it's not quite correct. I'm, you can't. How am I? I'm not as BJJ instructor, nor could I ever be. Nor what am I qualified to be. I'm just noting a couple things that are a little bit not by the textbook. So he gets the seatbelt grip. That part's fine. And I'm always told, I've always been told that the, the near side hook always goes first. He goes the opposite way and goes over the top. Could have been because he's tired. Maybe he didn't want him to roll. Maybe he just felt like that would be faster for him. But typically you want to go near side hook first than the other one. You don't want to mount it like a horse. All right. Skip ahead a little bit here. You're going to see he now he's got the seatbelt grip. He's going to chair sit basically it looks like. Uh, he can't get the hook. That's another reason why you don't want to go, because you can get telegraphed, and then they can block the hook. So it actually does not get the hook in. But he does have the seatbelt grip. Now, he's a little low here. You kind of want to be a little bit higher. But you got the two-on-one here. He pulls him back to the correct side. So you want to go to this side. That's the choking arm. You always want to fall towards the choking arm, right? And didn't get the hook in. So he tries to put the other one in. But he's going to, frankly, the easier side to escape from. Why? There's nothing controlling the shoulder. And there's no choke there, right? So this is like, a, he, Uzdemir had a moment here. And you're going to see, he's going to try, as I go frame by frame here. Let me skip ahead, because we're running low on time. You're going to see he tries to get that knee under, so that he can switch his hips into him. Which he would have been able to do, but I think he was tired and confused, and he doesn't quite get it. He eventually, you'll notice here, gives up on it, right? And just goes, you see that? Anthony gets a little bit higher. So Uzdemir just says F it and just rolls, boom, to his base. That enables Smith to get all the hooks in, right? Let me go a little further. Now look at that hook. Now both are in. He's still on the weak side of the choke. You got to get over to the other side, which is kind of funny. One, it protects them from escaping. Two, I'd actually argue if you can lean on that same side, you have the choke. It's actually a little tighter, right? So what does he do? He pushes it in a direction. Hold on here. All right, so now here we are. This is the, the choke hasn't changed. This was the weak side he was on. This is the strong side he was on. You notice the choking arm comes around, but they're on the weak side, right? So with that weak side, he can't quite get it. So you're going to see, oh, did it freeze up on me again? Hey! <laughs> oh, my life is meaningless. My life is meaningless. 
Point being is we'll stop it here because we're running out of time anyway. It's actually okay. The point being is you'll notice here he has the choke. And folks are asking what the difference was. This is the weak side of the body. And he gets the body triangle on the other side. Now, this is fine because you don't want want that foot on the other side. But he's got the choking arm on that one. So what he does is, since I can't fast forward anymore, son of a bitch. Since I can't fast forward anymore, that's fine. What he does is, you go back and notice, he switched sides. So he was here, and he switches to here. Why does he do that? One, because he hand fights. He has to. So Uzdemir hand fights. What Smith does is, he drives his hips in, stretches Uzdemir out, then switches to the strong side here, where the choking arm was to begin with, rotates over, and then when he chokes, he's on the the bottom side of the choke. So his whole body is laying right where it needs to at the final in the final sequence. So he just got pulled apart, used it to stretch, switched the side, and then made it work. Uh, it was actually a really, really dominant performance. Let me see one thing if I can do here. Can you close the screen here? Thank you. Let's see if we can do this with the time we have remaining. Probably not really. No? That's a bummer. Well, all right. I didn't get a chance to go over the uh, Patrick Cummings fight. We were running out of time anyway. We got to fix this for next time. Why do you think this keeps happening? I know why. Because there is no God. Anyway, doesn't matter. The long story short here is people had talked about the ground game of Anthony Smith and why, you know, people had discounted it. Um, Again, you're like, oh, look, you're focusing on all the errors. No, I'm focusing on the fact that it was really successful and that in that moment when someone was hand fighting, he was able to right some of the wrongs that he had created from the initial entries. He cleaned them all up in the process. And then by the time he's able to choke the person, initially has it wrong, is able to stretch him out, switch it, and make that connection. To me, as Danny Segura had noted, you're talking about a guy who had some nice wins over some aging veterans and did it stand up. This is on the ground. Volkan Uzdemir is a tough customer and in his prime. He gutted through fatigue, gutted through a couple of entry errors, corrected it along the way, and got the tap. Folks, that's the very definition of fight IQ. It's the very definition of heart. It's the very definition of ultimately having the right technique and understanding what you did wrong. And ultimately, he got the win, the best win of his career. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the Monday Morning Analyst. All right. Put this on here. We got to figure that out, man. You know, I had hilariously, I had people messaging me being like, hey, you know what you guys should do? I had this bold idea. (laughs) You should test things before you run. And I'm like, do you not, do you think we just show up and don't test this? We test it every time. It's just, um, you know, some of us are favored children and some of us are not. What are you going to do? All right. So we're going to be waiting here on Israel Adesanya, our first guest. Appreciate everyone. uh, You know, I got to do something new for that next week too, by the way. We're we're not going to bring that back. We got to do something else. Um, But um, in any case, there you go. So yes, we're going to talk to Israel Adesanya. He has a big fight coming up this week at UFC 230. I am very much looking forward to that. Takes on uh, Derek Brunson. That'll be on the main card. That was one of the few fights that I was hoping would not fall through, and it didn't. Thank God. I mean, you know, we're not there yet. Knock on wood, the whole nine. But um, when, let's see, Luke Rockhold got injured, there were some people saying, man, should this guy be the one that fills in against Chris Weidman? You know, I thought, hey, man, I don't know what he wants, but if he's ready to be a big star, this is the star-making opportunity. So, um, 
Ultimately, it didn't go that way. They gave the fight to Jacare, which I'm fine with too. Nothing wrong with that fight. But at the same time, um, it, it would have been, been interesting. All right, let's go to him now. He is one of the top UFC middleweights in the world. I think he joins us via the magic of Skype, the one and only Israel Adesanya. Hi, Israel. How are you? Gravy, baby. How are you? Good. How is New York City treating you thus far? Uh, yeah, so far so good. Uh, last time I was only here for one night, but I plan on uh, hanging out, hanging around for a little bit. Uh, when uh, when did you get here? Because I know you're coming from a far uh, place away, and the time zone's really different. Uh, I came. I think I arrived Sunday around midnight. So just as it turns Sunday, I, I arrived. So yeah, I'm adjusting well to the jet and yeah, for the fresh. How are you adjusting to the jet lag? Do you get over it quickly? Are you one of these guys who hates it, or how does that work for you? Part of it, you know. I've traveled a lot, so you kind of learn different ways to adjust. I like the earth normally, but uh, in Times Square, it's really hard to find grass. Uh, maybe I should go to Central Park first. I'll, I'll go to Central Park somewhere today and just kind of connect to the earth. All right. Well, th- we really appreciate you joining us here. UFC 230 days away. Before we get into the fight, I have to say I've been watching your podcast a little bit. You do a podcast with Dan Hooker. Yes, yes. You do a podcast with Dan Hooker called Frenemies. The only thing I don't know is why you call it that. Because usually that's two people who don't like each other but find a way to get along. Uh, I think now it's gone the other way. It's like two people who like each other but try and like push each other's buttons. Try and like, you know, rustle each other up a little bit. Especially during training. Like, watch our sparring sessions. It's pretty funny. You can kind of see us... Uh, Interact. And it airs on something called what? Maori TV or something? Forgive my ignorance. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely from a network called Maori TV in uh, New Zealand. But um, yeah, normally post the link. I think Kai replaced me today this week. So maybe the guy trying to take my job. Who knows? Uh, Kai Carl France, he just got signed to the UFC. So he'll be on um, December 2nd in Adelaide. One of our other teammates who's uh, in the UFC as well. All right, very good. Uh, so one of the things I learned from watching that was it, your own friend there, Dan Hooker, had asked you, have you done anything new for this camp? And your answer was yes, you had actually. Something involving breathing technique. What was that? Oh, yeah, uh, we went to um, a seminar um, in New Zealand by one of our Wim Hof's uh, students, one of his disciples. Uh, and that was, uh, he, he taught us some... Um, you know Wim Hof, right? The guy who's broken all the world records of cold. Who's that? Wim Hof. Wim Hof. He's a he's I think one. He's broken over twenty six Guinness World Records with cold therapy. He swam under ice for the longest. Um, he's held his breath. Um, I think in ice cold temperatures and stayed in. You know, he's a guy that just knows his own body to a molecular level. So um, through these breathing techniques, you can learn how to control yourself. Uh, control your uh, recovery, your stress levels, um, and even if you go deeper, you can control just the, the atoms in your body, just the breathing. Some kind of like I've tried it; it works. I changed my pH levels, so yeah, I can do that in like ten minutes. And it's some magic type shit. So, have has that had a big impact on this camp, or just another, let's say, helpful tool, but not that that big necessarily? That's a very helpful tool. Trust me. It's, uh, um, I haven't used it as much as I should, but it's a very helpful tool. And one thing I've realized when I use it, doing my breathing now, actually, yeah, it's a, I think it's had a big impact. Because even my recovery, when I check my heart rate, 
panic. You know what I mean? And you have to learn how to control yourself and control your breathing, through your diaphragm, breathe from within. So there's levels to this shit. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's had a big impact, you know? And so the other thing I picked up watching this was you were saying that there are some camps where, like, you had to get up and you kind of had to force yourself out of bed, but not this one. This one, you said you were flying high. What's been the difference? Mindset. Um, I've always said when I go into this game, went to the UFC, uh, every, every fight is like new level, new devil. So either you evolve or you die. So I feel like uh, just my, my evolution is being rapid. It's like, it's just like exponential growth every time. Because even like this, this, this fight, even I've got so much media to do. I already knew this was going to happen. I knew like every single fight is going to get worse and worse. I'm better and better. So I've had to evolve. I've had to set my game up. And if you can't hack it, you're going to get swallowed by this thing. You're going to get consumed by everything. You're going to be a deer in the headlight. So yeah, I've, I've had to evolve in so many ways. And definitely one of them was just when I wake up, it's different. Uh, I don't know, like, I just, I just go. So it's more of a mental adjustment. It's not any kind of physical change in terms of how a camp is built or constructed. No, it's not really about the camp. It's all about me. And it can be physical. You know, your mental always affects your physical um, 100%. So, yeah, it's all been me. Nothing about the camp or anything. I just, like, I have no problem admitting my faults. Like, I used to be real lazy back in the day and, like, you know, dragging it. I didn't really appreciate the position I was in. I never really appreciated it. But now, you know, I turned 28 last year. I'm 29 now. And 28, I had a metamorphosis. And a lot of things around me changed. A lot of people around me changed. And just one of them was my mindset. I had to evolve in a big way. And I think it just happened naturally. And that came along with it. When you say things around you change, can you give me like a, 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 an understanding of what that means? Uh, things around you change. I mean, I keep that same energy. You know, I like, I just... I keep doing me at the end of the day, but, you know, people around you who they feel like once you kind of get a little bit of you know, notoriety, a little bit of stardom, they think, oh, you've probably changed. So they they act in a, in a defensive way, like a defense mechanism. They kind of change as well. And it's surprising to see the kind of it's surprising to see the the, the characteristics in certain, certain people because you, you think you know some people or you think, I don't know, people just kind of try and be weird around you just people need to be cool that's all but um and yeah just the world around me changes in general with like the perks the perks of this lifestyle you know everyone wants something snakes everywhere vultures circling you know like scavengers just waiting to grab a piece so i've had to evolve in my own way and just stay focused you can feel the weight can't you you can feel that there's a sense about you that with this fight or whatever it is the next one after that things are going to rocket for you to a new level of uh, certainly starting within the MMA community and perhaps beyond. It seems like you're aware that this is beginning to weigh on you. Oh, it's not weighing on me. It's just, I, even if it does, I don't really, like I said, pressure makes diamonds. It's all part of the game. And I've prepped for all this from day dot. I've, I've always known all this shit would happen. And um, yeah, I've just been flowing with it. You know, uh, I've been adjusting accordingly. I've seen the right people to get myself right at the end of the day because i mean if i can't look after myself then this whole ship is gonna is gonna sink so um yeah i've just been adjusting properly and moving in the right spaces with the right people all right so let's talk about a few details here chris weidman is going to be fighting jacare there were people who were suggesting that when luke rockhold fell out you should have gotten that fight you didn't want that fight 
Nah, I want to. I want this guy first. I don't want to have to because I, I know if I once I beat someone like Weidman, there's no going back. And I really want to get this guy out the way first because yeah, he needs to pay for his words. He needs to uh, repent for his transgressions. So I want. I really want to get this guy first. Get him out the way. And I already told Chris. I've seen him in in New Jersey. We sat kind of two seats away from each other, and I told him, you know, eventually I'll see him. So. Now, just as a matter of record keeping, did the UFC offer you that opportunity? Mm, not that I know of. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think it was a thing. I think Brunson's trying to get that fight even. Maybe he's trying to run away, but I don't know. It doesn't really bother me. I'm focused on my work. I'm focused on my task at hand. And that's shooting with bum. All right, so it seems to me, and perhaps I'm wrong because I don't, I'm not the uh, purveyor of to- all of social media, but it seems like you guys had some bad blood. We interviewed you when the fights first got made, but since then, it's been real quiet. in a company so yeah uh eventually you know what after this i'll put something up i'll let him know i'm around i think i don't even i don't know if he's around yet because we haven't really checked in i came in early but uh yeah bad blood isn't really bad blood i'll just say it's another guy same shit different night like my last few opponents they all talk the same game they all say the same shit and eventually when they're in there it's like oh shit i fucked up what is your view about how, like, you see all the trash talking in the game today. Some of it is inevitable. Some of it is organic. Not just you, but around the whole game. What is the, what is the appropriate yeah. role in your life for that kind of thing? Keep that same energy. Don't try and be anything else. Don't try and be what people want you to be. Uh, classic example is Derek Lewis. You know, he kept that same energy. He was just himself on the post-fight uh, speech on, his, on the mic and... His uh, his stock went up just by keeping that same energy, you know, not being fake, none of that shit. And even the whole trash talking, trash talking and fire hype has been around since the dawn of time. I mean, I use this analogy, but like if you think about it, when I was in high school, you know, if two people, if two boys had beef and they were gonna square up, maybe a teacher broke it up, and then I'll see you after school. I'll see you after school. Yeah, yeah, whatever. From that point on till three o'clock when the bell rings all everyone is doing is talking about the fight they see each other in the hallway they're talking shit and whatnot and it's just been that way since primary school since middle school high school and then after school 3 p.m everyone runs to the spot where the fight's gonna be you see one guy on one side one guy on the other side they walk towards each other and then if the fight breaks out you know it might be a great fight it might be a shit fight but what was exciting was the lead up to the fight the hype of the fight so yeah, it's been around history, you know, Prince Nassim Hamed, Muhammad Ali, McGregor, Mayweather, you know, Chelsea and guys like that, they already understand, like, this is part of fighting, and they've kind of uh, enhanced it and just, like, ran with it. So, yeah, it's just all about building interest, I get. But you don't really have to be that kind of guy to, to build interest. It's just, I mean, a guy like, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Derek Lewis himself, like I said, he just... You know, he can he can screw up with guys, push them or whatever, but he just he's funny and he's just himself. So he kind of gets the attention. He deserves the attention he's getting right now by keeping that same energy. Yeah. You're a Derek Lewis fan. I think like the rest of us, you're a Derek Lewis fan. 
Yeah, definitely. I like the way he, uh, I like his social media game. He reposts memes, and I think he started to make memes, but um, I'm impressed. I like the way he's, uh, he's, handle, he's handling himself with all this uh, attention he's getting. Okay, relative to your last fight, I was there when you fought Brad Tavares. Is this fight a more difficult fight, or it's a different opponent? No. So it's not, you put him on par uh, with Brad? No, nah, I think Brad will whoop him. Um, but this is, this is, you know, M-M-A-T-H-S. That's MMA math, you know. It never always works the way you expect it. Like, it's like rock, paper, scissors, you know. I beat you, you beat the camera guy, the camera guy beats me. So who's the best man? You know, it's, it's not really, it doesn't really work that way. But um, you have to be able to understand that you're the shit or you ain't shit. So I have to dot my I's and cross my T's. And I made sure I did that for this camp. We took care of every single thing, like his habits that we know of, this chaos that's random. So, I mean, I can be real random as well, but I'm more of an organized chaos. He's just chaotic. He's just chaotic in his ways. And yeah, that leaves him really, really dangerous, but makes him really, really, really susceptible to my strikes. So, and my whole game in general, you know, I'm not just a striker like everyone keeps saying. I'm just, I'm just really, 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 really great at striking. But let's see what I'm like on my back. Let's see what I'm like on my top game. I just have to find someone to put me there first. And yeah, if it ain't broke, don't try and fix it. I want to smash these guys on the feet and then they end up on the floor. What's interesting to me is um, if you win this, you have to sort of begin to ask yourself how far you are from a title shot, especially given now the bit of the when landscape here. I might get the strap next. I don't know. I just have to see how the whole middleweight tournament plays out because, um, you know, it's like, uh, there's a few, it's like a little middleweight tournament that's happening on 230. So, yeah, the other guys suck. They fight a lackluster. If Bobby Knuckles gets past uh, Kelvin Gasolum, I'll probably go for the strap next. But like I said, I don't, I don't move off emotion. I move off strategy. I'll see and plot as I go along. So right now I only have one guy in mind. And that's that bum, their bumps. And so, yeah, right now I'm just focused on him. And then the strap is just something I grab along the way. Real quickly, if I can, do you have a thought on who might win between Weidman and Jacare? No, really, no. Uh, it's a fight that just kind of got announced recently, short notice. But they're both professionals. I'm sure they can both handle each other. I don't think, that, yeah, they haven't fought before. They haven't fought before, but... Yeah, anything that happened doesn't really bother me. Yeah, but your view, that's just so I can understand you correctly, your view is that with all of these middleweight fights on the card, and they're on the main card anyway, and there's four of them, it's basically uh, for grabs. Whoever has the best performance gets the title shot. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. As they say in New York, facts be. I think so. <laughs> yes, they certainly do, Israel. Well, I got to tell you, I am beyond thrilled for this one, man. This is a, this is, um, what do you want to, what do you think this is? Is this the Israel out of sign, at least to the North American audience? Is this the coming out party? Nah, that was the last one. Everyone's a, there's always a new, like, uh, there's always a new demographic to introduce yourself to. So, um, yeah, last time in Vegas, main event, I smashed it, you know, better than most people, much, much better than most people thought I would do. So, that was my coming out party. This is an, this is the after party, and then after that's the after after party. <laughs> the next one is the after, the after party. So you know, it's just same shit, different night. I'm gonna dance under those lights. All right. Well, you know what? I won't keep you any longer. I really appreciate your time, Israel. Can't wait to see you at media day and everything else. And obviously, can't wait to see your fight at UFC 230. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Likewise, Luke. I'll see you there. All right. There he is. Could be the next big thing in MMA, man. What a guy he is, huh?
Pretty impressive. All right, let's do this. I believe our next guest is at 1240. So that means it is time now for the sound off. All right, time now for the sound off with my main man. What's up, dude? Yo. Um, boy, that Israel Adesanya, he does not lack confidence, nor should he, nor I'm not saying he should, but uh, yeah. man, he is out there, you know. As we, that's one of the fights I'm, I'm that, most excited I'm the, for. I would I'm, say that's I'm the most excited for that, that one. That's, yeah. yeah, that's my, he is what we say in the Marine Corps, high speed, low drag, my friend. Yeah. That's what he is. Yeah. All right, let's get to this. We have the calls. You have sorted them. You have readied them for us. Yes. We don't have a moment to waste, my friend. So why don't we just get into it? Let's do it. All right. So obviously, uh, I talked about how the calls were very centered towards the Ben Askren DJ deal. So let's talk about that. I'm going to cut this one short in the middle just because the second question, a caller asked that later. Okay. So. Good morning, Mr. Lukey. This is Charles Jalen calling out of Atlanta, Georgia. My question is about the Demetri Johnson Ben Askren trade. Who do you think will benefit the most in the short and long term between a UFC and one championship? And who you feel do you? All right, so I'm going to stop it right there because we had another caller ask the second question. We want to include as many as many callers as possible. Okay. So let's talk about this. Who who benefits from this trade? Who's the real winner here? Um, as far as promotion-wise, right? Yes. Well, ATL Georgia, what can we do for you? Bulldog and H's uh, like them Georgetown Hoyas. Anyway, um, the answer is no one knows. The answer is no one knows. Look, I think that people were asking me last week, oh, is this an even trade? But that's really the not correct question. You're getting an all-time great for somebody who never had an opportunity to compete at the highest level. Right. They're not alike, but it's not supposed to be. The question is, are you getting value and am I getting value? I have a bunch of things if I'm UFC. I don't need the best fighter in the world or one of the best fighters in the world in Demetrius Johnson to prove as a third-party validation that this is a, gr a great organization. One FC or one championship, excuse me, they do. They need a Nitty Alvarez. They need a Nikki Holtzkin. They need a Demetrius Johnson because it says, hey, look at the quality of our roster. Uh, but conversely, if you're the UFC, maybe it sounds like they don't want flyweight anymore, by the way. Yeah. Um, which is we'll address that later. Yeah. Later in, in, it's a component of the story, but to your point. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, uh, you know, they get a guy who maybe he fizzles out or maybe he's the next champion. It's just a gamble. And by the way, say whatever you want. <laughs> He's out there picking fights on social media. Oh, yeah. So I think it's a wonderful trade. I think it is. I think it's great for MMA, great for the sport, great for fighters, great for all parties, really. There needs to be more of this. Uh, and I hope I hope this is not the only case that we see. But I would say that for me, I think the real winners here are, are one, one championship. I mean, Ben Askren technically retired. He's a retired fighter. He wasn't going to fight anymore for one. And he made it pretty clear. I'm only coming back for the GSP fighter or something real special. So you already... It's not like if they didn't make the DJ deal, Ben Askren would have gone on to fight for one. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you're pretty much kind of getting DJ for free. That's how I see it. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I mean, you're you're basically trading a retired fighter for one of the greatest fighters that ever set foot in the cage. My view is you're getting, if you're one, you're getting a known commodity. Mm -hmm. You know exactly yeah. what you're getting with Demetrius Johnson. You don't know with Ben, and that carries some risk. Yeah. But the point being is if you didn't want this guy around and he doesn't want to be around and you didn't want to have a flyweight division, you're getting something for nothing, basically. Right. You were going to get rid of that stuff anyway, appar apparently. We'll see what happens. And now you get Ben Askren, who, by the way, I don't know how, he's how good he is. I think he's very good. And uh, maybe he becomes something special. So there you go. And, I mean, the, the, the fight game is all about gambles, right? Every time 
fighters step in the cages, they're they're gambling, right? Yep. Um, so this is this is no different. And I feel like either way, you know, we we know the history between Dana White and Ben Askren. Either way, it's going to be, I think, a good outcome for the UFC. Either you got a star that could potentially, you know, have huge fights down the line or, you, you know, you could be like, hey, look, prove that here we have the best fighters in the world and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll show that. Yep. So e- either way is fine. Um, so now let's talk about Ben Askren and, and why the UFC wants him, I guess. Hey, Luke Thomas. This is David calling from Toronto, Canada. I just have a question about Ben Askren coming from the UFC standpoint. uh, Considering the current business model of the super fight, they're looking for guys who have big draws. They're looking for fights and for fighters that could sell pay-per-views. To me, um, a guy like Ben Askren, he's not the best fit, I don't think, in the current business model of the UFC because mainstream fans, common fans, they don't know who he is. Us hardcore fans, we know that he could potentially be great in the UFC, and we know that he could talk a big game. But considering his age, he's 34 years old, so he only has maybe two, three prime years left in him. I I really don't understand from the UFC standpoint why they would want him. I could understand maybe if he was 24 and he still had 10, 15 years to build up his star power. But because he's 34 years old, I just don't see what they see in him. But, um, I mean, obviously, as hardcore, like I said before, we know he's a great fighter and he could potentially be great in the UFC. But I'm just wondering from this standpoint what your thoughts are. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Thank you. It's a good question. A lot of people are not under, and they're not being haters. Do you know what that question was? That was not some guy trying to be a dick. That was somebody asking a critical question. Yes. Which I really appreciate. Um, Here's what I would say. Look, the answer is your skepticism may prove to be quite wise. He may actually not be all that great, in which case you're saying you got rid of Demetrius Johnson for this. But I hearken back to two things. Number one, it looks like, number one, DJ wanted to go, and more importantly, that the UFC just didn't have designs on this weight class anymore. And whether or not you grew that decision, they were going to make it one way or the other, it appears. The other one is I don't think people appreciate Askren. Yes, he's 34. He is an undefeated former Olympian, Dan Hodge Trophy winner, who at age 34 has taken virtually no damage. Now think about that for a second. That's 20 fights, basically, he's been in, and I don't think he's been hurt. He's been knocked down once in the Luis Santos fight. He just got kicked off of his legs, but he got right back up. He didn't get knocked down by getting hit in the head. Um, We're talking about a guy who is about as fresh as you could possibly be at 34 years of age. Moreover, he matches up well if they make a 165 and 175 pound division. You got a guy who can cross both paths. And this is the most important thing. It's why I brought up the BJJ scout thing. Um, We're talking about a guy who I think was ahead of the game in 2008 and 2009 with his ground control, Danny. And the rest of the fight game has sort of caught up. And I still think he's ahead. Habib has employed a lot of the techniques that Ben is, I would argue, much better at, to be quite honest with you, especially when it comes to mat returns and yeah. ground control. So you're asking what's special about him. Undefeated Dan Hodge Trophy winning Olympian at 34 who took no damage. That seems to me like a risk you might want to take. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, but this caller does bring an interesting point. I know Twitter is not the best way to it's the worst way. measure. Yeah, it's the worst way. But I'm going to throw that stat out anyways. Uh, <laughs> ben Askren has 100K followers on Twitter. Yep. Demetrius Johnson has 300K. Demetrius Johnson's been in the biggest promotion for many years. And yes. this guy has not. He has exactly. never had an opportunity. Yep. Um, so as far as a star power, you're you're not bringing in a superstar that's going to bring a bunch of casuals. However, though, there is a big demographic out there that needs to be addressed and catered to. And those are the hardcores, man. And he brought that up. 
We hardcores know who Ben Askren is. The wrestling world knows who Ben Askren is. We need this for a sport's sake. We need we need to see Ben Askren in the UFC, or else we're just gonna sit here and wonder what if, you know, who how good was really Ben Askren? And I think, in a way, this is very good for the hardcores, and and we're getting a, a nice treat here. And I think it's jolted electricity into the life of Ben Askren. Yeah, I interviewed him on my radio show when he called it quits, and he didn't seem down, but he just sort of seemed content with. You know, I guess I guess this is what the cards are that life dealt me, and now he gets something of a new lease on his athletic career. Um, this you need that in the sport. Yeah. You need these kinds of opportunities, and if it means that Zufa is willing to cooperate with another promoter, um, I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding what the problem is. Yeah, and and as I said, like he also brings in all the wrestling world just because how big he, he was there. So I think that's huge as well. You're, you're bringing in a, a new set of eyes. It's like saying if like Marcelo Garcia were to come in, in into MMA or back into MMA because he did fight in MMA already. Like all those jujitsu guys that a lot of them don't watch MMA, you bet they'll be watching. Right. So, yeah. All right, now let's talk about matchmaking. This is going to be fun. Hey, what's up, Luke? Hey, what's up, Luke? Rock New Jersey here. With uh, Ben Astor now on the UFC roster, any potential matchups you'd like to see for his UFC debut? All right, thanks a lot. Later. So this is, to me, a really important question. Here's my answer to it. You, Some people have said you want to match him up with another big name because you want to capitalize on this moment and turn, them into, turn him into a big star. Mm-hmm. I understand that logic, and I wouldn't be opposed to it because if the guys at the top of the division, they're all going to be tough, and that's what he's here for, right? But to me, I would actually go and split the difference. I think you should give him a fighter based off where you think he rates and what he deserves, and you have a little bit of a star power push. So for me, I arrive – there's a number of choices you could pick. I arrive at Jorge Masvidal, and I'll tell you why. Really? Jorge Masvidal, I have a very high opinion of. Mm -hmm. I think he is a very, very good fighter. And I feel like more or less only the very best guys – typically get the better of him, and sometimes barely, and sometimes they don't, by the way. Um, you know, his win over Donald Cerrone I thought was nasty, um, to be clear. And I thought he beat Iaquinta when he was at 155. Yeah, but likewise. Ne- neither here nor there. The point being is, if you can't beat him, uh, then you answer a lot of questions. If you can, it remains some kind of an elite proving ground. Um, I, I think be- I think uh, Jorge is one of these guys where only the very best guys uh, typically can get the better of him. So how good is Ben? Let's find out. If you want to just throw him in there with like a Nick Diaz or something, because uh, you want to make a big splash, sure. If you want to give him a Wonder Boy, sure. I saw people mentioning Kamaru Usman, sure. Colby Covington. I'm not I'm not against any of those. But for me, I'm looking to put him somewhere in that top 10 space, which is where Jorge is. I'm looking for a tough, meaningful, impactful challenge. And if he passes that test, then you really begin to market him as something special. Mm. I'd like to see him against a little bit of a higher. No, no disrespect to uh, to Jorge Masvidal, but somewhere somewhere higher in the rankings. I think Jorge right now is number nine, uh, according to the World Theory rankings, whatever that means. Um, but I'd like to see him get you know a little bit of a step up, just because you know Ben Askren is not here for super fights. He's not here for in the sense of you know making just uh, big fights that are just promotionally big, like a GSP type thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like he's here to fight the best. That's the question, right? Is he the best welterweight out there? Cause that, that's what we're wondering. So I'd like to see him in a fight that feels like a title eliminator bout. And, and, you know, he can get on the mic and, and call it the champion. Well, I know Tyron Woodley, the, their boys, but you know, in that case, Habib or whoever, whoever, or 165 pound division, whatever they, they decide to do. But I'd like to see him in a little bit of a higher profile. Match. All right. I mean, I can't argue with that. Yeah. And also, um, Jorge Masvidal, is he coming off a loss? I'm not sure. 
Uh, I think to yes. the, is, is the last time he fought was against Damian Maya, right? No, it was uh, Wonder Boy, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Let me double check that. I believe that is yeah, correct. Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. Mm, let's see. Uh, yeah, Wonder Boy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, two back-to-back losses. So eh. okay, but the point being is, it's less less about where he's yeah. been, but about who he is. Yeah. And if you're trying to figure out who Ben Askren is, again, he's I'm not a good measurement. It's, yes. a, it's a great measurement because Jorge Masvidal can do it all. He can Correct. He can strike his ass off. He can defend takedowns. He's got good jujitsu. Yeah. He's a tough, tough customer, man. Now, let's talk about where his grappling. You kind of touched on this a little bit, yeah. but let's talk about where his grappling uh, ranks in the UFC and just MMA in general. Ben Askren, of course. Hey guys, Bobby from Providence, Rhode Island. Giving you a call about the Ben Askren deal. Luke, how do you feel about it? And also, where do you rank him in grapplers from MMA standpoint? You know, considering half of his Bellator fights when he first started, he didn't even throw a single punch. He was just spinning around, jumping around, spinning around, doing his thing. Where do you rank him? Do you think he'll ever fight Khabib? So there's a, there's a bunch Thanks, of questions guys. there, Have but <laughs> what the hell kind of questions? <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of questions there, but let's just answer the main one. And I don't know if you want to isolate, just make this grappling because then there's really good jujitsu guys with guard. And then, you know, how do you deal with that? Or you just want to do wrestling wise? Okay. Well, wrestling. what do you think it's more, more fair? I guess? Um, we can do either. We want to do grappling first. The issue is not how good he is based on jujitsu tiers. I mean, he's a black belt level. If that's, yeah. if that's what you're asking, but it's about the kind of game that he plays as yeah. you are acknowledging. They call it the metagame. And the metagame is at certain positions, what is he trying to do? Um, and the answer is he's not playing a typical game that a, a jujitero might play. He's trying to do different kinds of rides, different forms of control. He can take mount still if he wants it. He used yeah. to take mount a lot. Now he's given it up. He does a lot more rides and kinds of things. Like that. So in terms of riding, in terms of mat returning, in terms of um, side control, in terms of uh, risk control in terms of these kinds of things, I find him basically to be the very top tier in MMA. Yeah, People are going to say that's crazy, but it's not. He is he is a guy who was doing things in MMA and nobody was doing it, and only now is the rest of the game catching up. Yeah, um, maybe he wasn't fighting the best guys at the time, but trust me, he was doing things that the best guys weren't. Anyway, so there's that in terms of like so, you know finishing ability. I think that's where there might be a little bit of a shortcoming, right? Because even when the, like the Douglas Lima wins or the Carl Amasu wins. These went the distance. Even the Koresh, dude, the Koreshkov win. Remember that fight between Priscilla Kachwera and yeah. Valentina Shevchenko? I'm like, dude, like, look at the striking differential. That's the same thing that happened when Askren fought Koreshkov. Mm -hmm. So there might be some finishing issues in terms of that kind of thing, but um, that's where I'm at. So it was wrestling and then the grappling. I'd say the wrestling, you saw it there for yourself. In the worst of his scenarios, he's basically unstoppable. Um, I, have a very, I, I have a very high opinion of Ben. I, I, I do. Yeah. What about you? Like, same. Um, but I would, I think I would rank, uh, I don't know, Habib, I think maybe just because I've seen him against guys that are, you know, are really, really good. Sure. Um, I still have questions about Ben. Yep. Um, I think he fair. could, yeah, I think he could be the very best, but I definitely consider him wrestling wise. I think he's top three at least. I mean, he's up there. Yeah. He's, a, he is one of the best wrestlers yeah. to ever compete in the UFC. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. I mean, I would throw in there Habib number one. Um, but Habib is also six years younger. Yeah, right? that's Habib true. Habib got to compete in the UFC in his 20s. Yeah. Um, you know, Baskin didn't even do it until after the, the uh, Beijing Games. 
Yeah. And who knows? Maybe Ben Askren goes in there and just starts out wrestling the hell out of, you know. But you have to ask yourself, is he a better overall MMA wrestler than Colby Covington? I would argue that he is. Um, I, I think so. Um, the Kamar Usman one is interesting because Kamar Usman's so physical. Yeah. But even then, like Ben did. That's ben, the thing about Ben Askren. He's not a big dude. He's not this. He doesn't look like a bodybuilder. Yo, he can yeah. wrestle his ass off. Yeah. And it's partly because his physical abilities are understated and also because he has. He's got the funk. He's got unusual techniques. That's he's right. He's got the funk. That's what they call it in wrestling. Cool. Um, now let's talk about the other side of that, which is Demetrius Johnson. Hey, it's Jason Colling from um, Hermosa Beach, California. Just got a quick question Hermosa. about Demetrius Johnson. Now that he's going to one FC, um, how much do you think, um, like some of his uh, the UFC casuals as well as his avid fans will follow him, and how big do you think uh, FC's uh, crowd size will get now that him and Eddie Alvarez and over there? Love all the work you guys do. Have a good one. So how much how much of an audience how much of a pool is Demetrius Johnson carrying over to one FC? I mean, look, it's I, look you're adding out. <clears throat> excuse me. And by the way, they added Nikki Holtzkin. A lot of people don't realize that one of the best kickboxers uh, in the world. So uh, that was uh, I'm not sure how recently that was, but fairly recently. So they have Nikki Holtzkin. They now have uh, Demetrius Johnson, and they have Eddie Alvarez. It's a potent combo. It's a potent combo. Is it a game changing potent combo? I, I don't think that it is. Um, having Eddie is important to get Western fans. Having Eddie is important for some of the Eastern fans who remembered all of his great work and dream and might know of him more generally. And Demetrius is great, as I mentioned, because you can say legitimately you have one of the best fighters in the world at a time, the best fighter in the world. Yep. Um, certainly the best flyweight of all time. I mean, that's an easy call. Yeah. And so to me, it's less of a promotional changer in terms of who comes through the door more than it is a piece in the building block to be able to say if you're 1FC, who, by the way, let's be clear about this, or one championship, they don't make money off their shows. They're surfing on venture capital funding, and that's okay, but they're seven years in, and that's how they make money. Nevertheless, if you're looking to do more fundraising, saying this guy's in our stable creates a lot of stability in that regard. That, to me, is its real value. I agree with you. It brings legitimacy. Um, you know, I think it will bring a, a good amount of fans over. Sure. I don't think it'll be It'll help. And by the way, crazy. I'm, I'm, people think I'm bagging on one. Yeah. Maybe I'm a little bit, but I'll say this too. I think their app is maybe the best app in MMA. <laughs> I still got to check it out. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, dude, their app is uh, – like, people are like, dude, it's legit. And I didn't believe it. And then I tried yeah. it on one of their shows. It's everything they say it is. It's nice. really, really good. And something I would like to add, I also think he's he's older. He's – you know, he, DJ's been around. How but I think he brings – I think he's definitely in his 30s. Go ahead make your point. I'll look it um, up. I think he brings potential because, look – In what sense? He's a streamer, man. Streaming is big. And in Asia, like video games are huge. Like South Korea is the hotbed for, you know, uh, gaming and, 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 and esports, right? Um, and DJ, I feel like the UFC never really gave him a proper push with all his Twitch 100%. channel and, and all the video games. Yep. Dude, that's a huge demographic. Like people people might not even be huge MMA fans, but hey, like if that's one of my favorite streamers, I'll back him up. I'll buy a pay-per-view. I'll watch, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, one has the opportunity to do that. And, and you know, streaming is huge, man. So I said this before. DJ is going to get his sponsors back. Yeah. Don't, Xbox do, sponsored him. Do you, you know? do you not know how important that is? Yeah. Not just for any guy. For that guy? That's a yeah. big deal, man. How much money has he left on the table since the Reebok deal? Probably a shit yeah. ton, if that'd I'm be being a, serious. That'd be a good question to ask. I mean, Xbox sponsoring him, I think— I, well, I, he's a, I think he's a PlayStation guy now. He's a PlayStation guy now? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. he got bitter when they, basically, as I understand it, their sponsorship was contingent upon being in the Octagon. Okay. Not yeah. just a global Yeah, yeah. One. Yes. And so when they they were like, ah, no thanks, he was like, okay, well. Yeah. Well, understandable when Reebok, you know. Yes. Or, By the way, he's 32 years old. 32, mm -hmm. see? 
So yeah, I think it'd be really cool if they do some some gaming stuff and 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 sort of try to merge those two worlds. All right. Now let's talk about the action over the weekend. Uh, Artem Lobov, hot topic in MMA yes, right now. Certainly is. Hey, looking Danny. This is Jason calling from White Plains, New York. Just wanted to get your thoughts on Artem Lobov. We all know he's uh, very well known for being Conor McGregor's training partner. After his showing against Michael Johnson, do you think it's time the UFC cuts him and he goes to fight somewhere else? Big fan of the show. Take it easy. Um, that's an interesting question. Yeah. What did you make of that? So I saw the – I was watching the fights on Sunday because Saturday night I got off, so I got to go out. Um, so I wasn't watching them live, but I, I was looking at my Twitter timeline, and it just seemed like Artem Lovov had a really bad performance from what I was reading. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, apparently he looked pretty bad. And then I go look at the actual fight, and the actual fight was – was there wasn't much action. It wasn't not, – not a lot of significant – significant things happen, but it wasn't a one-sided beating. Uh, you can make the case that Artem won one round as well. And Michael Johnson, you know, the dude's fought Habib. The dude's been at the top and, and fighting top guys. So this is a weird one because, yes, he's losing, but he's also losing to some top guys as well, and he's beaten some guys in the UFC as well. Um, my whole issue with, is with him getting co-main event slots. I don't think he's at that level to get those type of slots, but as far as being UFC caliber... At this point, where with the type of fighters we've seen in the UFC and 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 the type of performances, I think he's he's there. What do you what do you make of it? I think he's um, you know it's hard to mention what UFC caliber is because yeah, um, the, the answer is basically somewhere in the top twenty five or so of your weight class in the world. Um, I don't know that I would put him there in that weight class and mm. that that level. I think he's very very talented, but. At thirteen and five, you know it's a it's a it's a complicated one because you have to ask yourself some hard questions. Would he be here were it not for Conor McGregor? Yeah, maybe, but probably not. Would he stay here were it not for Conor McGregor? Probably not. He would not be here. I think yeah. that's pretty fair to say. I think so. Too. On the other hand, to your point, the guys out here fighting buzzsaw after buzzsaw. What is it you really expect from him when he yeah. does that? You know, he's not taking fights for any kind of self preservation reason. On the other hand. If you're not taking any fights for self-preservation reason, probably it's because you're the kind of guy who doesn't really – I mean, I'm sure he cares about winning and losing, but it's not central to his identity. And mm -hmm. is, does a guy like that have a place in the premier organization? I mean, I think I would say this. To your point, I don't know if I would cut him right away, but I would, he's lost three in a row now. Yeah. I put him on a fight uh, against somebody of a commensurate ability or whatever fight they want to make on a fight pass portion of the card. And if you can't win that, it's probably time to part ways. Um, this yeah. is supposed to be an organization where standards matter. And, you know, it's supposed it, to be right? right. It's supposed to be. And look, I'm not saying he's a terrible fighter. That's not what I'm saying. But at some point, you have to draw the line somewhere. And we're, I think he gets a strong degree of charity because fans like him. Yep. He'll take on anybody, which I, is absolutely true. He fights his heart out. And also because he does have a bit of, um, of, of legacy involved in here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and also, let's face it, the UFC is no longer what it used to be as far as, you know, just keeping the best of the in the world, you know. It's it's gone more towards entertainment. And at the end of the day, you see Artem Lobov in a card, you know who he is. Uh, and, you you know, he also brings... People talk is like his relationship to Conor McGregor all the time, but he also brings his own talk, his own game to it. People like him. People yeah, like pe him. people do like him. Now, we got to get Anthony Smith on the show, don't we? Yeah. Um, do you want Do you want me to leave me with... Uh, do you want to do one more question and I, I get him? Quickly. Okay. Uh, Israel Adesanya. Great. Hey, it's Jared from Allentown, PA. Big-time fan of the show and of you, Luke Thomas. My question is... is if Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya wins against Brunson, how close to a title shot is he? 
Thank you. Yeah, it's a good question. That's why I asked him, because I have a hunch that he's up there. Now, Chris Weidman will have a bit, a bit of a strong claim, right? Because if you beat Jacare, that's pretty impressive. He has a win over Kelvin Gastelum. Gastelum is fighting Whitaker already. So, I mean, obviously one guy was ready, one guy wasn't. But if 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 somehow Gastelum wins and they don't do a rematch, you know, you can do the rematch there with Weidman. So Weidman's in a bit of a very good position heading into this contest. At the same time, I just got a feeling that uh, Israel Adesanya, we don't know. He has to go and prove it like everybody else does. But my hunch is that he's a very, very, very special talent. I think the UFC feels that way. And they need to see if their intuition is right. But let's say he goes out there and wins impressively. And by the way, if Derek Brunson wins, then this whole thing goes up in smoke. But if he wins, um, I think that they're probably going to be looking to see how ready he might be for something like that, especially if you can put that title fight somewhere in the oceanic region, right? Because you'd have two guys from that area if Whitaker holds on to it against Kelvin Gastelum. And then you got Israel Adesanya at the same time. And that's a big deal for that part of the world. So you could do that. That's kind of interesting. But I just basically feel like he, Adesanya, if he can beat a wrestler like Derek Brunson, I, you know, obviously Israel is going to say what he's going to say about an opponent. But me personally, I kind of feel like, um, yeah, man, I think he's, I think he's very, very, very special. So if he can win in the way that makes him look special, and then get out there and say things that are interesting. Um, you know, like against Joe Rogan or whoever, and just have the big moment, you know, like Derek Lewis had a big moment. Granted, it was on a bigger card, but you get the idea. He might get it, dude. He might he might jump the queue. There's a lot of ways this goes well for Israel Adesanya. A lot of different ways. No guarantees. None of this is ever guaranteed, but I don't think he's that far away. I don't think it's like, oh, you beat Derek Brunson, and you got to beat three more guys or something. It's like this one, maybe one more after that, and then... And then he'll get it. But if Derek Brunson goes in there and, and wins, and by the way, Derek Brunson's a very, very good fighter. Let's not lose sight of that. You know, this is Chris Weidman's opportunity to lose at that point. At that point, it actually gets kind of weird. Because if Jacare wins and then Adesanya loses, you could do Jacare versus um, either of those guys again in, let's see, Bobby Knuckles or Gastelum, but he fought both of them and lost. Brunson's already fought Jacare twice, so you couldn't do that again. You could do Brunson, I suppose, against one of those guys, but I think is the one they're looking for. If we're having trouble connecting him on Spike, phone's fine, by the way. Or, oh, okay. All right. So I'm told we're going to get him on in just a minute. Uh, Anthony Smith, man, what a win this was. Uh, everyone knew what the talk was. It's like, all right, he looked good beating Rashad Evans, and that's fine. Hey, he looked even better fighting Shogun Hua, and that's fine. But you got to do it against somebody... You know, in his prime, right? Like young, hasn't taken a lot of damage out there, has a big name, high rank. So he goes out there and he fights Volkan Ozdemir, and things looked a little dicey early. You know, Volkan Ozdemir is a tough customer. He's a very, very good fighter, but somehow Anthony Smith found a way to gut it out. As I showed you earlier, got that double, got the back, pulled him in, had the choke, had to readjust it, stretched him out, sunk it from the other side, and uh, man, just made it work and just made it work. Really, 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 really impressive stuff. Um, from him, and it was the win he needed. And by the way, what a 2018 for this <laughs> for this guy, right? Anthony Smith. I've said this before about guys. Um, the best way to get ahead in MMA is to take an opportunity, at least in the UFC today, is to get an opportunity on short notice. So here was his 2017. Fought twice. 
beat Andrew Sanchez, beat Hector Lombard. Okay, that's pretty good. Then he goes 2018. He loses to, to Diago Santos in a fight of the night at middleweight. Says, I'm done with middleweight. This thing's been kicking my ass. Let me just go to light heavy. And then beats Rashad, then beats Mauricio, and then beats Uzdemir. And I think a couple of those he had taken on relatively short notice. Um, it's just the best way to skip the queue. If you're having to constantly like fight your way up and fight, it just takes a long time, man. It really takes a long time. But if you can find a way to, to just say, okay, I'm re- I'll stay ready and be ready. And by the way, the weight cutting fits into that, right? Because if you're not having to cut weight all the time and you're kind of fighting you know, relatively close to your natural weight, then when you get the phone call to say, hey, man, can you fill in on, I don't know, three weeks notice opposite XYZ, they've got a big name, and you go out there and you smoke them, this is how it's done, folks. This is a textbook case and how it's done. Get the opportunities where you can and build and build and build and build and everything the hard way. Everything the hard way. So um, here we are. Folks, we're losing time on this one. We may have to just jump to the phone. I'm not sure what the issue is back there. All right. But we're losing time here. We are on a, on a clock. Mm. So the question is, now where does Anthony Smith go from here? Hard to say. I think he asked for a title shot. Of course, I don't think I know he did. And I think he probably deserves it. Let's, we don't have a moment to waste. Let's go to him now. He joins us via Skype. The man, the, the legend. Look at this guy. Lionheart himself, Anthony Smith. Hi, Anthony. How are you doing, Luke? I'm doing quite well. How are you feeling? I'm all right. A little bit banged up. But uh, I, it's not too bad with a W. I'll take it. Yeah, no kidding, man. What a win that was for you. How are you feeling now, 48 hours or roughly 48 hours later, that to me was the signature win of your career, man. That was all the questions about, okay, we think he's good, but how good is he? Turns out pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, man, that, I, I'm just really proud of myself. You know, I, I, I fought really, really hard. And Vulcan's a lot better than people give him credit for. I know that everyone kind of labels him the one-punch knockout guy, but he's seen there, his, his ground control was really good when he was on top in that turtle position. You know, he forced me to stay safe and not be able to kind of explode there. And, and, and he, he, he's a lot more technical on his feet, actually, than I expected. I, I kind of expected him just to be kind of the, the wild brawler, but he, he's a lot better than people give him credit for. You face some hard hitters. How hard of a hitter is he? He's definitely up there. Um, I did a pretty good job of not taking anything super clean. Uh, I, you know, I rolled with him a lot. I was able to cover. But uh, I, I'd probably say he's probably one of the harder hitters I've ever fought. All right, so let's talk through the ending. It looked to me like you had that that knee tap, which you know you I could tell you gutted it out because you were kind of like a little wobbly a little before that, but you gutted it out. You got the double. You tried to take the back. He initially blocked it. You pulled him back. He looked like he was fumbling underneath, but eventually you had the choke. Had to switch sides. Like when you were going through this, how how close did you think you were as you were switching side to side on the choke? Well, initially when I had it on the, on the opposite side, right at the beginning, I, I was kind of stuck with that hand position because of how I took his back. Um, I kind of grabbed that seatbelt and, and it, you know, it's kind of my spot. I go there in the gym with everybody. I, but the way that we fell, we kind of fell to the wrong side and I locked right. the body triangle on the opposite side. So I was, I probably spent the first 20 seconds of that trying to just muscle it in there knowing that it was on the wrong side and, and but I didn't want to give it up you know I was kind of just squeezing for dear life and and 
I got it under his chin for just a second and he panicked. And then I was able to slide his, his I, I was able to slide the other arm in once he lifted his chin because he was having a hard time breathing. And that's why I was trying to keep him as flat as I could on his back because I knew all the blood was running down his throat because I could hear it gurgling. How tired were you when he finally tapped? Man, I was really tired. I took a really hard body kick at the end of the second round. It was a really, like I threw an overhand right and he kicked me right up under my ribs. And I was having a hard time getting full deep breaths after that. And for whatever reason, man, he just fights at a high pace. You know, I, I think that's kind of the piece that the people are missing. You know, I, I was pretty tired at the end of it, but the pace that we fought at was pretty high and the leg kicks definitely didn't help. Um, and honestly, I just, we kind of just kind of threw caution to the wind there in the third round and kind of both of us kind of strayed from our game plans a little bit. So I, I was pretty tired. Um, I have to say you were mentioning that, you know, uh, you were proud of yourself. You should be, but we as observers might be proud of you for our own reasons. Why are you proud of yourself? What, what, what did this experience mean to you? Man, I, it's a lot of vindication. You know, I, you, you tell yourself over the years that no matter what you're, you know, you're going to get there, you're going to get there, you're going to get there. And eventually, you know, after a while, you're just like, shit, man, like, am I going to get there? You know, and, and, and just proud of myself for just sticking to it, you know, and, and, and just staying true to what I said I was going to do. And, and that was world champion or die trying. And I, and I think I'm closer now than ever to the, to, to realizing that. What did your family say? Man, they were really, really happy. My my kids were super excited. Uh, my mom is is really, really excited. You know, when I started this whole journey when I was seventeen, I think she thought I was crazy, but she she believed in me. You know, and and she never never discouraged me in what I wanted to do, and she helped support me as much as she could. So I I, I think that she's just really, really happy to see it finally finally coming all around. You know, you know, I spoke to Derek Lewis. He always tells me that uh, win or lose, but especially when his lose he loses, his kids make fun of him. I'm wondering, do your kids, what, what is their response to dad out there, uh, dropping bombs on people? <laughs> my, uh, my middle kid who's standing right here. Say hi. Say hi to Luke. Hi. Hey, hi. What's your name? Uh, she's, she's always trying to figure out if I won or lost. Uh, she, you know, so she's, she's only four years old, so she's trying to figure it out, but she was wondering why I wanted to take a nap in the, in the middle of the octagon. That's, that's what she's been giving me crap about. Why I was trying to take a nap. All right, fair enough. Now, uh, after the fight, you get out there and you call out for a title shot. T- pitch me your case. Why are you deserving? Uh, I, th- I just took out the number two guy in the world. Uh, I think I, you know, I finished two former world champions back to back, and then the number two contender, the number one contender, is fighting for the title. And I think Daniel Cormier, I think that is all but left the division. Uh, I don't think that he's coming back to 205. I don't know. I don't know who else would be in front of me. You know, I don't. I don't know who else is a a legitimate threat to either one of those guys. No matter who wins the title, um, you might be able to throw Latifi in there. But if Gustafson wins, then that's definitely out the window. You know, so I I, I, I genuinely believe that I'm the only legitimate threat to either one of those guys. And and I think that I'm finishing people. You know, there's guys that are that are winning, but I'm finishing guys. Yeah, you certainly are. So let's talk about this a little bit. Um, let's say John Jones wins. Well, first of all, do you expect John Jones to beat Gustafson? I do. I do. I think that 
if John Jones is being truthful when he said he didn't train that hard for the first fight, uh, I would imagine him coming off this long layoff with everything that's happened to him that he's going to that the best John Jones is going to show up. And I think that that's what he's going to need to beat Gustafson. All right. So let's say he wins. Tell me how you believe you match up with him. You know, I, I think that, for, well, first, I think that Vulcan is one of the tougher matchups for me in the entire division just because of the way that he fights. I think that John Jones is less dangerous than, than Vulcan is. But, you know, John Jones isn't one punch knocking out anybody. You know, it's just, that's not his style. You know, he's, he's super crafty. He's dynamic. Uh, I think he has a high fight IQ. Um, but I think that he's hittable. And, and I think that I match up with him size-wise pretty, pretty well. Obviously, he's got a longer reach than everybody in the entire UFC. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that John Jones beats a lot of people in that short range with the elbows and stuff. And I think that I'm just as dangerous in that, that elbow fighting range as anybody in the division. Would you rather fight John for your own legacy or, or curiosity or Daniel Cormier? Forget, forget the title being on the line. Imagine it was the same in either scenario. I'd rather fight John Jones. Uh, Why? I think that I, because no one's ever, no one has a legitimate win over John Jones. And the, that's the stuff that really gets me up. You know, the fact that I, like I, deep down, I truly believe that I can beat John Jones. But deep down, I know that I might not be able to. And, and, and that's what drives me. You know, that's, that's what motivates me. And that I've been thinking about John Jones since I've been at 205. It's, not, it's never been about Shogun or Rashad or even Vulcan. It's trying to get through as many people as I can get through to get to John Jones. Interesting. So it's almost the doubt uh, mixed with the self-belief. This is what is propelling you? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, people can say all day that the doubt is a, is a bad thing, but I don't think that it is. I think doubt motivates people, uh, depending on who you are. I think that John Jones being the tallest task in the entire UFC will bring the best out of me. And I, and I think that one of my biggest downfalls is that I tend to fight to my opponent's level. And fighting up to my opponent's level is always going to be a positive. You know, it's, you hear people talk bad about fighting someone's level when, they're, when you're fighting down to them. But I think that I'm one of those guys that I just rise to the occasion when I need to. And I think that I would do the same with John Jones. That's an interesting observation. Why is it you think you do that sometimes? Either direction, either up when it's a big challenge or down when it's not. I don't know. I've kind of always done that my whole entire career. Um, you know, I had a coach one time that, says, that said that for whatever reason, I'll always do just enough to win, but never any more than that. And I, I, it's, it's not a conscious thing. It's just for whatever reason, it's just how I fight. And, you know, I wish I could change it, but, you know, I, I, that's just who I am, I think. Uh, outside of you, do you think there's anybody else that can beat John Jones in that light heavyweight division? Other than other than Gustafson, no, I don't. Wow, how close? By the way, you think John's going to win that one? The first one was super close. You think this one is less close? I think it's going to be a very similar fight. I, uh, but I think that John Jones is one of those guys that he has such a. I think that one of his biggest one of his biggest advantages is that he's his his fight IQ is super high. So I think that if he has 25 minutes to figure you out, another 25 minutes is, isn't going to be beneficial to you. Mm, interesting. Um, all right, a couple more questions here. We really appreciate your time. You know, when you were out there on the regional scene and you thought to yourself, man, when I'm on the cusp of a world title, it'll feel great. 
all right, you're on the cusp of a world title. Is I'm sure it does feel good, but is is this what you thought it would be like? No, I thought I would. I, I thought that I would feel a little more accomplished. But it, you know, I had someone tell me one time that the the reward for winning a pie eating contest is more pie. So I, I don't really <laughs> feel like I don't really feel like I've. I don't, I, I don't feel like I've accomplished it yet. You know, like I, I'm not happy yet. I thought that once I got to this point where I'm like right there and, and, and hopefully I get that title shot, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of, it kind of, kind of makes me nervous. Like my whole entire career, all I've ever focused on is wanting a, is wanting a, a 12 pound gold belt. Like the way I feel now, I'm kind of scared that once I get it, it's not going to be enough. Oh, I doubt that. I doubt that. It's just, um, you know, I think the issue is right when you're tantalizingly close to something and it becomes real, then the achievement of the moment will only matter um, a little bit down the line, right? Even if you win or don't win, you will still look back on this moment fondly. I do, I do believe that. I think so. I, I think it's hard to live in the in the moment of it right now because I think I'm just looking. I'm still looking forward. So I, I, I and like I always say, I, I don't want to. I don't want to live in it too. I don't want to live in this moment too long. Cause I don't want to stay here very long. You know, I want to move on to the title shot and, and hopefully win the title. And then later on we can look back and enjoy it. Did you enjoy that main event slot? I did. I did. You know, I, I really enjoy talking to the media and I know that that's the one thing that a lot of guys complain about is they're busy and the media obligations and you know, they're trying to do all that while cutting weight. Well, I don't have any of those problems. You know, I don't cut, I don't cut really any weight at all. And I really enjoy talking fights. I'm a MMA nerd, man. I could talk fights forever. So I really enjoy talking to the media. I enjoy the fans. And I, I just enjoy the whole process, you know. And, and But I'm, I'm, it's all about perspective. You know, if I wasn't doing well, then no one would want to talk to me. And the fans wouldn't care about what I was doing. And, and, and fortunately, Canada was really welcoming to me. So it wasn't like I was fighting someone in their home home area where where I was you know had a bunch of people that were against me or whatever. So in that specific situation, it worked out perfect. All right, so let's end on this. You want to take a break, a well-deserved break. You have had a busy 2018, my friend, and it ended up with a bang. Uh, couldn't have ended better than it did. So let's say you are the next in line. John fights at the end of December. Where do you think you will where, where does this put you for a title shot? You think first quarter 2019 or what? Yeah, yeah, I would I would imagine that that fight would have to be on a pretty big card. Uh, so, you know, maybe May or June. Uh, you know, I'd be fine with waiting till July for International Fight Week or something like that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, but I definitely need a break. You know, I I just need to sit back and I need to be a dad for a little while. You know, and I think I had five fights in thirteen months, and you know, it's just a lot of traveling and, and, you know, I missed out on a couple of vacations. I was supposed to take my kids on. So I got a lot of making up to do. Well, you know what? I won't keep you any longer. Uh, Anthony, what a win it was. It was tremendous to see that final choke. And, um, I think once you have a couple of margaritas on the beach or whatever it is you're going to do for vacation, you'll have a chance to reflect on it in a very positive, uh, like congratulations. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot, Luke. I really appreciate you, man. All right. Me too. Feeling is mutual. There he goes. Anthony Smith, maybe your next um, light heavyweight title contender. All right, we have an in-studio guest. How about this? This is great. He is the CEO of KSW, and I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly only because this is one of the benefits of watching soccer, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, Martin Lewandowski is here. And I got, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it because Robert Lewandowski plays for Bayern. And that's how you pronounce his name. We have Americans here who go by Lewandowski, Lewandowski, but I don't think it's how you do it. Bring them on in. What are y'all waiting for? All right, here we are. How you doing, sir? Yeah. Cool, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm glad. Hey, yeah. thanks for coming Martin, in. Pleasure to meet you. All right, have a seat, my friend. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. Thank Look you for this. having me here. Fresh beer, the nice yeah. haircut. <laughs> now it is Lewandowski, right? Yes, that's Lewandowski. I got that only because I watched soccer. All right. For Robert yeah. Lewandowski, obviously played yeah. Bayern. Yeah, a friend of mine, but yeah, no, no. You know no. him? Yeah, sure, sure. Really? It was on my 40th birthday, and it was three years ago already. So wow. Yeah. What brings you to New York? Just vacation, you know, after hard time, uh, and big show in London, Wembley. I just decided to go with my um, wife and a kid, just you know, to take a deep breath. I've been in New York once. Must have been, I think, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, just you know, great country, great city. Yeah. So you know, we're going to cruise, you know, around museums, theaters, going for NBA and UFC for sure. Is that right? Yeah. Do you, yeah. Got, do you watch NBA in Poland at all? Uh, not much, but I have a friend actually <laughs> because of the time difference. Really? That's the oh, only sure. thing, you know. I I watch maybe I observe and I you know take a closer look what's going on and. But not life, because usually life it's when I sleep. Fair enough. <laughs> but I have a friend, Martin Gordat, and he's the one and only. He played for the my. I'm from. I live in Washington D.C. All oh, right. He played for the Washington Wizards. That's Is he with the the Kings now? Um, or the Clippers? I can't remember. Yeah, with the Clippers. The now Polish Hammer. Clipper. Yeah, Polish Hammer. So that's right. He's number five, you know, center. So, and he's a good friend of mine. And that's why I've been, because I've been uh, uh, playing basketball for years when I was, you know, a teenager. And then uh, back in times when I was working for the Marriott Hotel, actually another American brand. Uh, so that's why I came across a lot of basketball players, you know, and my desire to basketball player grew again. But then I changed it for MMA, of course. Fair enough. Let's get to it if we can. <laughs> sure. I got a bunch of questions for you. Here's the first one in no particular order. I noticed that your last show, KSW 45, that aired at least here on DAZN. Mm-hmm. Do y'all have a DAZN deal? Yes. In the know. U.S.? Yes. Okay. We, have, we had a couple you know, deals, and DAZN's are the latest one, and they actually we started working starting from the, previous, the last show. Right. Yes. So fans like me are going to be able to watch KSW 46, your show in December, on DAZN. Right. Well, this is great. Yes. Wonderful. We had a couple deals with different, you know, media partners. I can't recall right now, but, you know, my brother is in charge of that, so he can tell more, you know, in the past. But, yeah, with DAZN right now, we are are now close, and we are working for new deals and new cooperation, you know. Always it will be a problem because of the time difference, but still it's such a huge market, you know, dominated by UFC and Bellator here. So, but still a lot of fan base, a lot of Polish community who, you know, follow KSW for years. So for sure, one day maybe KSW in the US. So I was going to ask you about that. There's a big Polish community here. Big Polish fighters have done quite well here, particularly more so in boxing, I feel like, than MMA. Like Tomas Adamek, mm-hmm. um, he has sold out the, um, God, who he fought? I was there for when he fought Steve Cunningham mm-hmm. at the uh, Prudential Center, which is right across the river. And it was like, I mean, little, it was like little Krakow or Krakow, I pronounce <laughs> it. It was crazy in there. So do you guys have designs on eventually entering the market? Um, for sure, Europe is our first approach, and this is where we base. This we this is the, the 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 these are the countries or the continent we understand, 
and it's also much easier to produce the show when you live and and you of know course, in, yeah. in that continent. So for sure, Europe. This is um, our first approach and our desire to 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 go there. I mean, we already have been. Um, we did three international shows. Let's put it this way: we did two in London, in one Wembley, in Ireland, two, right? and one in Ireland, in Dublin. So for sure, next year at least one show will be outside of Poland, and we will we will grow uh, and expand. And we want to just you know make our brand bigger outside of Poland because in Poland it's like we are UFC. Like here UFC, it's yeah. like you know it's associated with uh, MMA, and the same story is with um, KSW in Poland. And we are actually bigger than UFC. Uh, in Poland, and then UFC here is in Poland. Right? So, so for example, so, I mean, not that I disbelieve you, but let mm -hmm. me play devil's advocate. What would be the proof of that? What do you mean? Like, what proof of uh, so that we are bigger? Imagine than I, UFC I, in Poland. I have seen KSW mm -hmm. shows. I know what the truth is. But let's say I knew nothing about it, and someone said in Poland KSW is bigger than UFC. How do you know? How do I know? Because of the ticket sale, because of the pay-per-view sale, because of the interest from the media, you know. So, but yeah, so just, just you know, there are a lot of things or the lot of uh, um, statistic we can we can see. The first actually UFC show was a crap, you know, concerning the business uh, uh, approach, uh, the media, the fans, you know, they just put it like another show in another country. Don't pay pay much attention to that, and I think that's what didn't work out well. The second was much better for sure they will come you know polish fighters are getting better and better you have a couple uh good well-known uh, polish fighter here so i think not only for ufc but for any other uh, mma organization poland become a, a nice tasty uh, pie so um but yeah so, but come back to the question about, you know, our development. So for sure, we want to concentrate on Europe first, you know, because this is where, where, where we grew and we understand. We did already those three shows, but U.S. would be um, something that's accidentally, I would say, because mm. it's so dominated here by UFC and, and yeah. Bellator. That's what I mentioned before. So I think it will be just only once of every couple of years, just in, and it will be more like we are going to play for polls. Uh, so like with Europe, we are we are more um, concentrating on expanding our brand and to grow our brand um, between other nations, not exactly Polish. You know, Polish knows us very well everywhere where they live. So this is not our approach; just only to play to Poles with the you know Polish music. We want to be more international, but that's definitely. Let's talk about your shows. One of the things I find really amazing about them is that number one, you only do like what four or five shows a year, basically. I think this next one, forty six, is going to be your fifth show right. of the year. That's true. What I like about it is MMA is going one direction here, where it's like show after show after show. It almost um, I make an example. I say it's like banquet food. Mm -hmm. If you have to make a dish for five people, a good chef can handle that. If you have to make a dish for 500 people, doesn't matter how good the chef is, by the time you're making it for that many people, the quality drops. You guys don't do that. The whole market here is going one way, you guys are going the other. You're saying, let's do less, but make each show ridiculously good in terms of the kind of fights we can put on, and in particular, the atmosphere and the show. When did you realize that was a winning formula, given that everyone else is doing the opposite in some ways? Actually, we started you know, from the very, very first show. That's what we thought, that we can't only concentrate on the sports itself, but we need to you know, build the whole uh, show around it with the 
just you know people need to understand that the, the whole sport is also entertainment you know so this is uh, like I wasn't a big fan of UFC you know like 15 years ago I was more looking for the pride you know the way how they show they, they produce the shows how they celebrate the fighters so that was with my you know business partner that was our approach we decided we are going to you know build it not only show not only fight but everything what's around is very important not only for us but also for the fans we didn't know if it's going to work you know it like work out of 15 years ago you know Poland and MMA 15 years ago it was associated with the worst thing you know illegal fights dogs fighting uh no rules you know so the hooligans so everything which you can think of you know black market that was mma so first we need to grow and just show that this is a sport and it's a legal business and it take us that's why you know 15 nearly years of course we are talking about now about different completely different world uh, and and mma is uh, number one in all martial arts in in in, in poland and it's bigger than boxing right now mm. so and thanks to ksw we, we we are kind of you know pioneer in in that business so but you so. find you find that there's a hunger for this right like i hear american fans complaining all the time what they want to see is you know look can every show be a big spectacle okay maybe not necessarily so. right but um but there there's a there's a certain like mma with spectacles how it's supposed to be and mm-hmm. so it, there's a feeling among at least in this fan base i can tell you when they see ksw they're like this is what pride used to look like to right. a degree, right? Right. Um, do you feel like MMA needs more of that? More of what? What you're doing. Um, or if, if everyone I was s- doing spectacle, it wouldn't be... In other words, if everyone was doing spectacle, would it be too much? It wouldn't be so spectacular. Right. So I think that the the the, the, the business idea UFC had and Bellator here for US, it just, you know working very well so i don't think that they are willing to change it and i think there is no such need we are unique because this is what we do and that's what you said probably if people would start copy it it would be just another copy uh, and and people wouldn't appreciate it and i think it's good that you know there's we have a map of mma shows and you can choose some people want just you know many fights without any entertainment around but there are a lot of people who want just you know to be entertained like in the movie that's how i compare it to a movie you come you know to a cinema and you watch from the beginning to the end usually it's like you are waiting for the only main events or call main events and and um, all the shows most of the shows are just advertised with four or six names we try to put attention and a lot of uh, promotional efforts to every single fighter we have on the fight card. Of course, we need to build those brands. I'm talking about the fighters, but still it's like a completely different approach. I think that's what makes us very unique uh, around the world. And for sure, we want to skip it. We want to uh, give more shows, more we want to produce more shows per year, but it won't be that you know uh, number like UFC or Bellator is doing, that's right. for sure. Um, what do you make of this trade that the UFC, the trade that UFC did with one? Do you like it? I don't give them up. I don't <laughs> it's like, you know, here's, here's it's, what it's I, good. It's good that UFC is opening for such right. thing. You know, that's, that's something which, because I had a long story with UFC and with conversation with people from UFC. And it's been like this year, I might say, I have to say, this is the first year I'm really not satisfied because that's a big word, but we found a common ground 
to understand each other's needs, you know, like mm. because when they are taking the fighters, they are not taking like they used to just take the fighters and sorry, yeah. we are not going to pay attention to anybody's contract or something. They said, if you are not going to release him, he, release him, we are not going to, you know, sign him. So they are kind of thinking about other promotions, you know, and I think that's, that's the way they sh it should be. That's what I told them because <clears throat> we are not the competitors because, you know, they are global and, and, and they, they can, kind of work with those companies, small promotions uh, around the world uh, because, you know, we build this MMA. Why they are in Poland? Because we build the MMA, you know, in Poland. Why they are not going to Turkey, for example? You know, because... Well, they, they are, <laughs> I've, been to the, I've been to Turkey. I've got a few theories I, yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, nothing about, you know, the pol political reasons, but just, you know, about the MMA doesn't exist there and that's it. You know, it's a case closed. So, but I think it's nice that they are training and they are changing the fighters and because it's only uh, it shows that UFC starts to cares a little bit about the other promotion and MMA we have uh, I think every promotion has the same um, um, how to say goal maybe not a goal but kind of a goal you know to be one of the Olympic Games and if we are not going to be kind of united it's not going to happen even with those billions you know the the from from east uh, markets people are talking about that they are going to spend billions and probably that's what is going to happen i don't believe in that it needs to be a structure it needs to have a lot of you know uh, clubs and 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 just the, the mma need to be united and seen not only about uh, as a kind of show but it's really like a sports sports i'm not talking about us i'm not talking about uh, uh, poland but i'm talking about the global market like nobody questions for example curling you know if it's support or not the guys are you know moving the the iron on the ice and and they have the association you know it's a, for me it's crazy but still like you know they make it and 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 it's bad that the mma with such a power with a lot of money around it, it's a huge business we can't just because you know we are playing the you know different role in the same in different countries but you know the goal should be we should have at least you know one or three goals the same and we should follow that one so if 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 um ufc is training the fighters so it means that i believe they have changed their approach or maybe it's just illusion maybe just only one fake you know deal or maybe, maybe. not fake deal but it's a, just only one yeah, deal. It's, a, it's a one hit or quitter but mm. may, maybe the other idea here is and i wonder what you think about it look I don't know if there's going to be any more trades. I don't know if there's going to be trades with UFC or could maybe a Bellator one trade or something. But if it's possible, and maybe it's not, but if it's possible that it fosters a spirit of cooperation between organizations, like I guess what I'm getting at is, does this at all, as a guy who runs KSW, does this make you think about, wow, what are some other ways we could work with other organizations? Or are you strictly focused on what you guys have to do? No, actually, we, we work with, with different organizations. We, we do these trades, but it's not like so obvious. It's not so, so spectacular, for example, like, you know, UFC and one did. Um, but we are working with uh, with um, different organizations, not only with Poland in Poland, but also around the globe. Um, with Bama, with Bellator, mm -hmm. I had really good relation. I mean, I had with Bama. <laughs> no more. Uh, no more. No, because now they are a part of you know uh, um, a big um, Bellator. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, and Cage Warriors, you know, so these are the um, organization I'm, I'm working with. Uh, sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's just only just exchanging the information, but we don't see each other as a competitors, you know, so, so, yeah. So you have this, uh, I believe we have the trailer, Danny, do we not? The uh, Bellator, excuse me, what am I saying? The KSW 46, right? We're going to air it on the monitor here, or we're going to put it? Full screen. All right. Let's see that you have. This is uh, for um, oh, look at here. This is from. This came out today. Right? Sunlight calmness and apply submissions. Frank Shui like elegance. Champions. He will bring the storm to the KSW cage and fight for the biggest prizes in KSW. He wants to rise from the ashes like the phoenix. He's harder, better, faster, and stronger. Ladies and gentlemen. So there's the uh, there's the ad right there. Pretty incredible. I mean, that's just like typical KS1, right? Showmanship. It's got grandiosity to it. It's got ambition to it. You got the wild animals and the whole bit. That really is like a great. If you've never seen a KSW show, that's sort of like a. I would call that a very fair teaser, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. We try to find you know unique, unique thing to to build around the whole show. You know, so every show has a, nearly every show has a, its own theme. Last in 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 uh, last show in Wembley, London, we have a kind of punk uh, uh, theme, you know, like MMA is not dead, so we build <laughs> around this one. So yeah, I think that's what people really likes, you know, about our show. Also, that we 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 pay attention to small details, and me and my business partner, we are really involved in every single small detail of the show of of, of the whole organization. So I think that's why we can you know pay attention to those. And KSW 46, Nar forgive my pronunciation, okay. Narcoon? Narcoon, yes. Versus uh, uh, Mamed Kaladov, who they know here, hardcore fans know him here very well. That'll be your main event at 205 pounds, then your co-main event for the title, Mateus Gamrot? Gamrot, yes, Mateus. I'm, I know yeah, I'm going to say it bad. And then uh, Kleber Koik. Koik yeah. Erbst? Yes. Wow, that's a that's a bunch of syllables there that I cannot pronounce. Yeah, he's Brazilian and, and, and uh, Japanese living in Japan right now, so, yeah. And if they've never seen this show before, what can they expect? And this will be, uh, forgive my, uh, this will be Saturday, the 1st of December. December. What can they expect? For sure, the, you know, great fights, eight, uh, nine great great fights. 
with international crowd, international fires, you know, great production, the production which for sure will, will bring you the pride memories, uh, or even better. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just, you know, three, four hours, it depends how the fight goes, but for sure it will be like in a movie. You're going to watch it from the first, you know, scene till the last one, and and, and I think people will like it. And of course, beside the, the uh, website you mentioned, you can all, and it's been for like, I don't know, seven years already, you can watch all those KSW shows on our own platform, which is kswtv.com, and you can, you, can, you can have it wherever the internet is, you know, uh, available. Let me say this. This is all a right. true story. I went to Poland right. in 2001. I took a train from Berlin to, is it, I pronounced it Krakow, but it's Krakow? Krakow, yeah. yeah. Krakow, yeah. I have to say, the Polish people, and I'm not exaggerating, you're going to tell me, oh, you're just saying this because you're here. I am not just saying this because mm-hmm. you're here. The Polish people are the nicest in Europe. Right. I have to tell you, they could, and this was, uh, this was June 2001, so this was before 9-11, mm-hmm. and I went there, you know, you go to France, and everyone is, like, all the Parisians, they don't care about you. Dude, the Polish were friendly every single place we went to. They asked questions. English is, is, is uh, prevalent there, and I just found them to be... I just found them to be great. So it is no surprise that you came here with a friendly attitude and English speaking skills and business acumen to boot, my friend. It's glad to hear that. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's do this. We have to go to our next guest. We appreciate sure. you coming on. All right. KSWTV for more information.com. Yes. That's right. All right. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank Martin you very Lewandowski. much. Thank you. Thank Give you. my best to Robert. Who? Which Robert? Oh, Lewandowski <laughs> Robert. Okay, I will. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you, my man. friend. Thanks. Really appreciate it. All right. We go from one esteemed guest to the next. I believe he's on uh, with us via telephone. Oh, yes. When we have to reset the camera. Give me just a second. Uh, Yeah, so I wanted this guy on for a couple of reasons, right? Not least of which is because, well, he had a big fight coming up. You remember that David Branch was like, getting after it and really wanted an opportunity to fight Jacare. He came on my radio show. We talked about it then. We had a bunch of conversations about it, and he got it. He actually had it at UFC 230. Then Luke Rockhold gets injured, and, well... Everything just kind of fell apart from there. But he's still got a big fight. He's still got a big challenge. He's still on that card. Let's go to him now. Uh, the man himself. David Branch is here. Hi, David. How's it going, Luke? I'm doing quite well. Hey, man. So we talked, I don't know, a few months ago, right, on my radio show. You were trying to get that Jacques Array fight, and uh, it just didn't go your way. So how are you feeling What uh, five days out now from your fight? I'm excited to fight again. Uh, the, the objective is still the same, crush, kill, destroy. Um, and at this, at this point in my life right now, the things that I've been through and never made, it's just, uh, just give me my fucking opponent and then, uh, give me my hand wraps and my gloves and let me go do my job so I can get back to my family after I'm done taking care of business. David, if I can, is there any way I can get you to take the phone off speaker? Is that possible at all? I got you, Luke. Sorry. Hey, there he is. You sound great. Okay. All right, man. But so let's walk through what happened. So you, you, as I mentioned, you had the Jacare fight. Boom. It was locked in. Luke Rockhold gets injured. What happened between then and how you ended up getting the Jared Cannonier fight? Um, I think that, you know, they, they, they understand, uh, I don't know really what happened, uh, with the situation. I just, I got a, I got a, I was teaching class actually the day that I found out and, um, just normal routine, um, going through teaching my class and stuff like that. I think I was teaching the beginner class or the beginner class was about to start. And then one of my students walked in and said that he said, Hey man, 
did you know that Luke Rockhold got hurt? And then I go, oh, he did? And then I said, oh, oh, shit. And then I go, oh, man. And I said, oh, man, I know what's going to happen. And, I said, and then I said, if I get to my phone and I get a call by my manager or one of my cornermen, then I know what happened. And I did. And it was a missed call. And it was easy for me to put things together. I understand why I'm a veteran of the sport. Luckily, the uh, organization was able to, you know, call somebody up. Uh, Jared uh, Cantonier, he responded to the call. And, and that's, that's what we got next. Um, so, okay, a couple things here. Let's go through this. Why did you suspect it might have been you that was going to lose the fight? Why not somebody else? Why not Israel Adesanya or whoever? Uh, because it just makes sense, Luke, uh, from a business point of view, if I was a promoter, um, I'm going to want to keep on the, one of the people that, that, that was, uh, that I, that, that my show was kind of pushing, they were kind of pushing the Luke Rockhold fight with, you know, in conjunction with the, uh, with the, uh, <clears throat> Cormier, Derek Lewis fight. And I'd want to keep on one of those people that I kind of like co-mained. And I guess they're going to just boost up one of the other fight fighters that are like, you know, closer up in that rank. Uh, I guess that's what it was, you know, um, I'm not too sure, uh, you know, if, 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 uh, if, if Chris was asked to fight me or something like that, or, you know, or anything like that, you know, like I've, I've made it public before that I'm not interested in fighting him, uh, especially, you know, not for, you know, something like that, you know, um, if, if you know, that, that, that wasn't the case. I, I think that it was a situation where they asked the, the Jacare camp and his uh, handlers, uh, would they want to take the opportunity to jump up? And, uh, and I think they see that it was probably better for them, uh, <clears throat> politically wise for like numbers and uh, rankings and stuff like that. I don't think anybody was scared or anything like that. Um, and that, and it just happened, you know, I got a phone call from my management and, and they were trying to save me on the card. I explained to them that I, I worked really hard and it's been like about a 19 week camp. You know, I've trained as hard and smart as I possibly could. And I actually got a phone call from Dana. He was actually nice enough to reach out to me himself. And uh, he explained to me that it's fucked up, kid. And, uh, you know, we'll get you a fucking fight, you know. And, uh, you, you know, you, you do what you got to do this one. And we'll get you in there with some fucking killers that'll, that'll move you forward. And I, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to do what I have to do uh, so that we can, uh, you know, honor these things that were said. And that's it. And for folks who may not realize, the Weidman thing you don't want to do because you guys both have that Henzo affiliation, right? Yeah, I just know him. You know, I know him. I, I like the guy. You know what I mean? I don't want to, you know, put those kind of negative intentions on somebody that I know. You know, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's it's a very difficult situation. It's not something that I'm this, that I'm faced with right now, and it's not something that I'd even want to like you know get into. You know, because it's, it's not, it's it's not birth. It's not it's it's not real right now, you know, and, and I'm glad that we weren't faced with that situation where it was uh, something that is just like, Hey man, you know, the, the, you know, which one of you boys wants it the most, you know, and I'm glad it wasn't a situation like that. You know, Jock Ray was available to take the fight. Um, that's somebody that I still do want to fight in the future. Um, uh, along with other people that I, I still, I, I would still like to fight. Um, it's just not something that's on the, in the cards right now. You have a very tough opponent in front of me right now, very durable opponent. And um, he's coming down in late for his uh, first uh, middleweight debut. And um, I'm looking to uh, do business with him. All right, so we'll get to that in just a second. Um, let's, 
let me, let me, well, actually, you know what? Let me, let me ask you about him that you bring him up. I'll, I'll, I'll pivot to that. What do you make of Jared Kennedy? He's a tough guy. He's a tough guy, tough kickboxer. Um, you know, he's got, <clears throat> he's got skills all over the place. Uh, like everybody needs to, um, I just think that, you know, technically wise, um, I'm, you know, a lot better. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying that, you know, being, you know, arrogant or anything like that. I think that it's, that that's what it is. And I'm going to look to take advantage of that. You know, I'm going to, you know, start fast and, um, and I have the condition to stay on top of this thing the whole time. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push the issue. I mean, in my fight with uh, Jock Ray, that was my, that was one of my game plans. It was my game plan to, that's it. That is my game plan to go out there and put the fucking heat on everybody. You know what I mean? And just not, not let up, you know? And it's just a wild creature that you have to deal with for as long as the time duration permits, you know? And if you make it, you make it. And if, and if I fucking fall on a banana peel in the process, hopefully that doesn't happen. You know, I don't see that happening, you know, because, you know, I'm a very cerebral person. Then, uh, that's what they have to deal with. So what's interesting to me is you said you had a, a roughly a 19 week camp. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. 19 weeks. Hey man, is that, that is a long time. How do you even have a camp for 19 weeks without burnout or injury or something else? Give me the story there. Okay. I peaked once. Uh, I peaked really fast. Actually, I peaked once and, uh, the camp, I had some really good professional people that were in my camp this time. And, uh, 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 one of my guys named Greg and he has been helping me with like my body and stuff like that. Get my, get me all fixed up to somebody that I'm going to be using in the future. And, um, he told me, he said, look, man, you're overworking. And, uh, and I was just so obsessed. I have, you know, serious OCD. And I was like really obsessed with like just going out there and like putting on a flawless victory, um, and just complete domination of Jacare. So I deemed that it would take that many weeks to be able to do something like that, because in order for me to call on my skill set at will during that kind of intense kind of competition, I know that I would have needed to train and train a lot. And I know that my conditioning would have to be peak. So I trained like an animal and I ate like one and, um, I knew I'd be ready for something like that, you know? Man, that is cr- I've never heard of that before. So let me just play devil's advocate if I can, David. You're a vet. You're a pro. This is not your first rodeo for sure. So I'm, I have no uh, reason to question you. But if I, if I was thinking out loud, I'd say, well, how do you know? How do you know you're not overtrained? <clears throat> uh, based on my movements and, like, uh, people who best professional movements and, and like, uh, you know, like high-quality athletic movements and, and me knowing my body. And where I'm at and my snappiness, my strength, you know, my, uh, where my, where my mind is right now. Um, I'm ready to fight, man. I'm I'm really ready to fight, you know, and I'm going to go in there and do what I have to do and I'm going to do it well, you know, and I'm not going to be nice to anybody that I go in there with, you know, you know, I, I want to like, like my, like my boy, Justin Willis says, I'd like to apologize ahead of time to any one of my opponents, because my intentions are not set well for you. And I'm not going to talk any smack. I'm not going to say that you're not this, you're not that, you're scared. I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to do my job. And I'm going to do it well. And, and that's it. So let's say you do, right? You go in there and Saturday goes about how you expect it to go. How does 2019 go? However the UFC wants it to go. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a cog in the system, man. And I'm not an entitled brat. 
Um, I think that, you know, me doing what I have to do in a certain fashion with this fight should definitely make a statement um, to the UFC. It should make a statement to the rest of my division. To God, I haven't already made one already, but um, that's what I am, man. I'm just a soldier, man. I, that's that's what I do, and I've and I've and I've learned to not expect anything as a fighter, but just to always be ready. And my job as a martial artist is to make sure that my skills are always ready and sharp as they fucking possibly can be. And that is the only thing that I'm in control of. I'm not in control of title shots. I'm not in control of rankings. I'm not in control of any of these things. The only thing that I'm in control of is being in there and being a fucking deadly weapon. That's my job. And that's what I focus on. And I'll let the UFC focus on the rest with my management. For, for sure. And, and you're a pro, so that's the kind of attitude one would expect from a pro. I guess what I'm sort of curious about is, like, are, are you happy with your predicament? Because you're still on the main card, right? There is some value there. Mm-hmm. So are you? Am I happy with it? I mean, I'm not happy that I didn't get to fight the person that I, that I really wanted to fight, you know, because that's who I really wanted to fight, but I'm happy that I'm still on the card and I've made the mental switch necessary. And, and I've gone through the mental preparation and the switch to be able to now switch my intentions to this man, uh, Jared. And now he is next and that is it. So you said you still want to fight Jacare down the road. If this Saturday goes your way against Jared Cannonier and he wins, is that the next appropriate bout to make? That would be the next appropriate bout to make. Yes, hmm. I, I, I would. I would. In my opinion, it would be. But I don't know. Like again, I'm not entitled to anything, you know. Yeah. And I don't have any control of these things. But if it would be, if they asked me, what do you want? That would be my answer, and that would be what I want. Do you? Uh, you know, you made fight, that. What that fight does. What that fight does for me in the future um, would be based on what the UFC wants. Fair enough. You know, you made that one uh, interesting video with all of your uh, jujitsu. Um, I think it was one of your classes, and they were all making mm-hmm. like the, the gator mouth. Are you still planning mm-hmm. on doing those kinds of things, or are, how do you feel about actively lobbying further in your career? I mean, I, I'm at a point right now, and you know, I'm really humble, Luke. You know, I'm a very humble person. You know, I try not to be a narcissistic fuck. And it's very difficult to be, and it's very easy to be, you know, as a fighter, um, because, you know, the attention does feel good at a certain point, but I'm a normal fucking person just like you and, um, and everybody else. And, uh, I'm not special. I don't feel that like I need to do certain things like that based on my resume, man. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and I just hate like having to reiterate shit that I did and go back and start bringing out profiles and shit like that because everybody's done something, you know what I mean? And just God damn it, just fucking recognize what I've done, you know? And I, I don't think that I should have to do fucking monkey shines to fucking get a fucking good fight, you know what I mean? I'm a great fighter. And uh, and just fucking just act like you know. That's, that's you know, <laughs> it's one of those things like, you know, when uh, when I was in certain locations, you know, when, uh, you know, I would, I, or, or, or when I was a kid, you know, and I, and I would, you know, act a certain way to a, to an adult or, or, or a man, I'd, I'd actually run across a, a real man and I would get beside myself. He'd look at me and say, act like you fucking know. And I'd have to like, look, and I'd be like, shit, well, it, I, I do understand that I'm a fucking small child and this is a grown man. I need to act like I know. 
And I think that at a certain point, you know, I think that, you know, other people need to just act like they know, man, and just, uh, just let up off the bullshit, man. You know, you know who's a good fighter and you know who's not. And I don't need to go through a fucking bunch of shit to fucking say who I am. And I've done what I've done. And hopefully that's just good enough. And hopefully people can act like they know. That's it. Well, I think that's a more than a fair uh, request. Uh, David, I'm I'm sorry that you lost the fight you were, you were scheduled to get. But with a 19-week camp, man, that is quite a gas tank to have for... Uh, Saturday, when you take on Jared Cannonier on the main card of UFC 230, you paid your dues. If Saturday goes your way, man, I hope 2019 is the year you've been looking for, and we really appreciate your time here on the show. Thank you, Luke. You're the best, man. I appreciate right. that, brother. Pre- appreciate you as well. All right, there he goes. Um, so I believe we have just one more guest. So with that in mind, let's do this now. It's time for a round of tweets. Look at that. All right, five minutes on the clock, donkeys. And then once it gets going, it'll get going. While I'm still good looking, y'all. Here we go. All right. Smith and Blahovich have arguably deserved light heavyweight title shots. Thoughts on them having a number one contender fight around the time of Gus Jones. Or it can be done early 2019 if DC is next for the Gus Jones winner. I'm going to get, I would not mind a Smith-Blahovich fight. To me, Smith's win over Uzdemir is a bigger deal. Um... But I can understand an argument for Blahovich. If they want this dude to fight, that's fine. But you're kind of eliminating one contender there, and they might actually need it light heavyweight, as many contenders as possible. So it's a fine fight. It's not a bad idea in an ordinary circumstance. I just don't think we're in an ordinary circumstance. Next. Uh, can you think of a more impressive UFC debut in recent history than that of Don Madge? Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to try and still get a hold of Don We've been, I've had some of my producers reach out to him to try and see if we can get a hold of him. Uh, we tried out a little bit too late, so we couldn't make him happy for today, but we are going to talk, he and I. I was blown away by how good he was. There's a lot of talent coming out of South Africa. He's still got some issues to work on. As a, He's still a junior fighter in his career to an extent, but just, I mean, he look, T. Edwards was not afraid of him at all, came out with total confidence. Look at their body language when they both ended the first round. Total difference. They came back out, and Don Madge had a very, very impressive UFC debut. I would say um, um, George St. Pierre beating Carl Parisian as a UFC debut is pretty good, too. So, But yes, that's a really, really good one. Next. Would you be happy if they replaced Face the Pain for Bodies? I'd be happy if those songs never existed. Next. Um, honestly, not hating here. Why is Artem Lobov in the UFC? They have kicked out way better fighters with winning records. What is Lobov now? 13, 15, and 1. I've made this point before, right? We kind of talked about it earlier. Look, the idea here is this. Um, he will fight anybody anytime. He, uh, I think, does have a pretty decent level of ability, but his record speaks for itself. And so with three losses in a row, to me, if they wanted to, to um, you know, move on from working with him, I could understand that. If they wanted to give him one more, I could even live with that. But look, I mean, it sounds like you're trying to be insulting by acknowledging the role Conor McGregor plays in his life. And I don't think that it is. I have deep admiration for every UFC fighter. I truly mean that. And Artem Lobov gets a little bit of unfair criticism because he gets promoted a little bit because of the nature of his relationship with Conor. But at the same time, he gets it because of the, the nature of his relationship with Conor. Like, and that's the way the world works. Like, People who know famous people and people who know powerful people, um, sometimes things go a little bit better for them. 
So it's all those things. It's all of those situations combined that put him in the situation that he's in now. It's never one or the other. So you can have admiration for his uh, uh, ability. You can have admiration for his willingness to take on all challengers. And you can also recognize, you know, he's getting, it's a bit of nepotism going on in there. Um, and if they wanted to move on, I would understand. Next. Uh, would Darren Till be a nice entry fight with Ben Askren, or would that put the fire out of whoever the loser is? By the way, unblock me. I'm about to start doing that Venmo thing. You just Venmo me 10 bucks and I'll unblock you. Um, the thing is with Darren Till and the way his ground game looked, I don't think that's a good idea because what if, uh, first of all, if Darren Till savages him, that's a fine rebound for Darren Till, but I'm not exactly sure what that would tell you because we still don't know for sure how he would match up Askren with the very best. To me, if Askren goes in there and smokes him, a, you've put Darren Till back two in a row for a no need, and he's 25 years old. And you'd be beating a guy who showed a bit of a weakness in the ground game generally. So um, I don't know that that's the best idea. Uh, Darren Till's 25. He has time to really work on his ground game, and he will, and it will get very, very good. I firmly believe that. No need to risk it against somebody who that's his particular specialty at this juncture. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to really any fight against the top welterweight, but I don't know if that's the best one to make. Next. Uh, with the addition of Ben Askren, is now the time to add a 165 division in the UFC. I've been a longtime skeptic of this division. I did a mock draft on my radio show. It came out that you can actually do this and still have a very strong 155 and a very strong 175. If you eliminate 125 so it frees up more roster space, I know folks think that's not a real argument, but it is. If you do that, then I think you can do 165 no problem. Next. Uh, what was the biggest mistake made by Madrid? Letting Zizou go, sold CR7 uh, to Juventus, or both. Uh, it was letting someone who cheers for a loser Atletico team pick the tweets. How about that, 4 nothing Dortmund? Next. Uh, what, what do you think would be a bigger fight, Habib versus Tony or GSP versus Askren? Look, GSP's, well, Habib versus Tony probably is bigger at this point because of he's surfing off that Conor McGregor fandom. But that's an interesting question. That's, that's one you have to think about. Very good. All right. And that takes us down. Do we have Mr. Askren set up yet? What is the word? Back there. All right. We're getting him on the phone as I understand it. He'll be up in just a second. All right. Let's go to him now. Not a minute's a waste. He is uh, all the rage right now. Finally getting a shot in the UFC. He's an undefeated uh, Bellator and one championship. Uh, Dan Hodge trophy winner, Olympian and everything else. Ben Askren joins us now on the hotline. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great today. I'm on fire. I'm ready to rumble. Just ask me who wants to beat up. Oh, man. You have been on fire this week. Is this the happiest you've been in your MMA career? Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know what? I always felt a little guilty when I was calling these dudes out because I couldn't really go beat them up. And now I can beat them all up. So it's, it's like a kid in a candy store, Luke. It's like, man, I, I can't make a bad choice here. I can beat up dumb Colby. I said, you know, Diaz put the pipe down. I could beat them up. I could beat up Darren Till because he's annoying as shit and he was undefeated. But I didn't like that. Man, there's so many good choices for me right now. All right, let's back up a step, man. From your vantage point and the way you experienced it, how did this deal get made? Uh, it, it was, for, for me, it was, I didn't do nothing. It was, it was simple. They told me it said 20 minutes to happen, and, and I said, make it happen. And that, and that was it. They made it happen. Now, when you say they, who is they? One championship, Chachi City of Town. 
All right, so they came to you and they said, hey, we got this idea. We want to swap you out for Demetrius. Yeah. How long ago was this? Yep. Uh, a while. I mean, you know, we're pretty close. I, t- I talk with him fairly frequently. You know, he, he knew there were certain guys that I wanted to fight. Um, and, you know, he always said, he said, let's make, let's make everything a win-win, right? And so that was, you know, kind of, we were kind of always looking for a win-win type of situation. And, and this one was perfect. Everybody, literally everybody won. Every party won. The UFC got uh, a star, won championship, got the greatest mixed martial artist ever. Uh, and I got to go fight the guys I want to, and he just got where he wanted to go. So everybody won. This is a fantastic deal for all parties, uh, and you know, really brought some serious star power to the UFC. Now, is, is it true you signed with uh, First Round Management this past week as well? No, that's that's not true. Uh, oh, I, I you know I, I like Malky. He was Malky was very instrumental. I, I hope he gets I hope he gets credit where credit's due because. You know, he was instrumental in making this trade happen. And this, this is a first. I mean, when they called me and they said, this, can, well, can that really happen? Can we, can we actually do that? Like, is that legal? And uh, so, I mean, this is something that no one thought. No one saw this coming. And if they said they saw this coming, they're lying. They didn't see this coming. And so, you know, if you should get credit where credit is due is that he was very instrumental in this process. But I, I was already represented, and I, I chose to stick with uh, my current representation. Man, you were, uh, you must have been over the moon. Were you, like, how shocked were you when they came to you with this? You must have thought this was a joke or something. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, can we really do that? Is that, is that really, is that, are we serious? And then even when they said, I'm like, ah, that ain't gonna happen. That's crazy. Then it happened. All right, so have you talked with the UFC at all? Like, any of the matchmakers, any of the reps, like, about what's next I, I have talked to, I've talked to Hunter Campbell, uh, who is very high up at, at UFC, um, and, and my plan, our plan is for me to, uh, I'm going to head out to, uh, New York city this weekend and hopefully, um, finalize everything. Um, and then, you know, hopefully pick out an opponent. I, man, it's like, they're going to line them all for me. And I'm going to say you, and I think every single welterweight, uh, on Twitter is hoping I don't point at them because not one of them is getting lippy with me. Okay, so this is crazy. Now, Dana White famously had issues with you, right? You told Joe Rogan and many others yeah. that he was the one who kept you out. Why do you think he ultimately changed his mind? Uh, I have no, I have no idea. And you know, I've I've worked exclusively with Hunter so far, so I don't even know what Dana thinks about this. Dana might be saying like, Hunter, what are you doing? I hate that guy. I I don't. I have no. I literally, I literally have no idea what Dana thinks about this. I have not. For an interview, I've not seen him tweet. I've not seen anything. Man, so you, are you going to talk to him in New York? I would hope so. Well, that'd be nice, right? Yeah, but when you come to New York, you're like, what I'm asking is, are you scheduled to meet with Dana? Oh yeah, I, I'm scheduled. I scheduled to meet with Hunter. I guess I am assuming that Dana will be there. I cannot confirm nor deny that. Um, you know, me and Daniel Cormier are really close from the Olympic team, 2008. And so, you know, I'll probably be spending some time with him as well. So I'm sure um, by chance or by on purpose, it will happen one way or the other. Man, this is a crazy turn of events, you know. Um, I talked to you when you you, uh, were deciding to hang him up, and here you are today. Um, What does this mean, you think, for your MMA career? Like, what kind of opportunity now is in front of you in terms of how to define a legacy? Well, this is it for me. The, the, 
thing that I think was number one hard for me, and number two is the thing that interests so many people and why why situation was so unsettling, right? Is that we didn't know. We don't. We don't know if I'm as good as I say I am. Nobody knows, right? We haven't seen it. And everyone wants to, everyone wants a finality. Everyone wants closure. And we didn't have closure on this. And now we're going to get closure. And for me, I didn't want to protect my record. I don't give a damn about my record. I want to go fight the best guys in the world and show people I'm the best. And, hey, if something doesn't go my way, I don't think that's going to happen. That is a possibility. I realize that. That's part of competition. And that, that's what happens. But we're going to get some finality. We're going to get some closure. And we're going to see what's going down. Uh, I made it very clear, public on the record, I'm a very big fan of this trade, but there has been some criticism of it. A lot of folks don't understand. Oh, what's there to criticize? Everybody won. So folks are saying, let me play. Let me let me give you the, the critical uh, uh, version of this. No. It's it's that hey, Ben is unproven. I would argue he never had a chance against the very best, but okay, it's a different story. Never been proven. Demetrius is uh, one, of, as you noted, one of the best ever, and they might get rid of flyweight. Why is this an even trade? Well, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty, pretty simple to answer, Luke. Um, number one, Demetrius never liked. I mean, never liked promotion. Never liked talking trash, right? And the UFC, oh, that, that's how the UFC sells the fights, right? Although most of the fighters can't talk trash worth a damn. They're just gonna say, "Ooh, I'm really tough. I'm not scared of him. I'm gonna go punch him in his face. I punch so hard." Right? It's it's very elementary, rudimentary, very simple, simpleton talking. But nevertheless, that's that's what the UFC wants. The UFC wants these guys to talk trash. Demetrius never wanted to do that, and in Asia, that that's just not how it goes down. Like I really had to tone down my rhetoric because it wasn't welcome there. You know, people people reacted very poorly to it, and so Demetrius gets to go and do what he wants to do. I get to come and do what I want to do. Fight the guys who are ranked above me. Um, the UFC gets a star. I mean, a legitimate star, and you know, and, and Demetrius does. He kind of doesn't beat around the bush. He says, you know, I was there to fight. I didn't. I wasn't there to sell paper views or talk trash. And so he, you know, he wasn't a huge seller where I think I will be. And one championship gets, gets one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. So literally, literally everybody won in this trade. And, and and there's probably a lot of bitter naysayers, but that's all they are. If they, if they if, listen, if I'm saying if we're all, all four of us, all four partners saying we're great with this, then. Get the hell out of our way and let's do what we want. You know, uh, very quickly, you mentioned how uh, it sounds like what you're saying is Demetrius Johnson's probably going to be a really good fit in one. Do you think that that's like um, uh, it's a it's a it's a that's the best place for him? You think? Um, that, that's where he wants to go. Here's what I'm saying: that's where he wants to go. He, I mean, he's done. He's already done a few. I've already seen a few of his interviews. He's really, really happy with how it went down. He's really, really happy with what's going on. And so, yeah, that's that's where he wants to be right now. And he, I think he's happy that he doesn't do the trash talking that, that people want him to do. He doesn't have to do that aspect of it. And so, yeah, if, he, if he's happy with it, how can anyone else not be happy? Isn't he saying what, it's what he wants? Like, shut yeah. up, get out of his way. Yeah, yeah, that's the point I've been making as well. It's like Demetrius is capable of making his own choices. If they're the ones that engineered this, I'm struggling to understand what yeah. the problem is. Yes, I, I agree. I don't know. Some people just got, they got issues with everything. Uh, ben, you're 34 years old, and this is a golden opportunity. It came a little bit later than I'm sure you ever expected, but here it is. Um, but the point I've made is you're undefeated, and you haven't taken hardly any damage. How, how do you feel physically, and, and how much longer do you think you can do this? Um, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure on that. Uh, when I retired, I retired for real. That was, that was a joke. I, I took nine months off. I didn't have a skill on nine months. 
And I want to do something for myself to stay in shape, stay competitive. And so I'm actually going to wrestle in a wrestling tournament in December. And so on September 1st, I got on the scale. I started dieting, bringing my weight down. I'm feeling really good. Um, I'm already in really, really, really good shape. Um, obviously, I'm not, I'm not doing the striking of the jiu-jitsu because I was playing on just wrestling. But uh, my shape is getting really good. My weight is coming down very well. And I, you know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I've never sustained a major injury. I haven't got hit in the head a lot. Like I'm about as healthy as you could be for someone who fought professional mixed martial arts and wrestled for the last 30 years. Mm. Now, you plan on staying with Duke, Duke Rufus. Is that right? Um, you know what? I, I didn't train there the last uh, little bit of my career. I kind of, you know, I, I have a lot of my own stuff going on in my life with my wrestling academies and other stuff. And so I, I would bring people to me, um, and I will probably do something similar to that moving forward. I see. Um, and, and it might include Duke. I mean, Duke's, Duke's a great coach of what he does. And, you know, obviously I, I work with him when, when we, we both help Tyron. So, um, it's not like there's ill will there. Um, and I, you know, I could definitely proceed a scenario where my training includes Duke for sure. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, speaking of which, uh, Tyron mm-hmm. Woodley is currently the champion. Now, um, I don't know who they're going to match you up against or how many fights they might win or you have to win to get a title shot. But I'm just sort of wondering, it's an inevitable question, Ben. You have to imagine. What is... No, me and Tyron are fighting. It's simple. You would fight each other? No, we are not fighting each other. Oh, never. It would never happen. We are not fighting, no. All right. Uh, so you're happy just yeah. to fight the best and keep doing it as long as he remains champion because that would be enough validation. Well, I, th- I think you. there's a lot of I think there's a lot of scenarios in which I get to prove uh, how good I am and not and we don't fight. You know, they, they could create the 165, 175. I think that's a I think that's a possibility that it's almost like the UFC is pushing back a little bit in spite how how much all the fighters realize it would be beneficial to us. I think it was up to the fighters to probably create that division of muscle, right? Mm. And you know, women's 135, they refused. I mean, Dana White said, we'll never have women fighting the UFC. And then they came upon a star named Ronda Rousey, and damn, they created the division. Well, maybe the same thing's happening here. Maybe they don't think Kevin Lee or Justin Poirier is a big enough star. Sure, they're great fighters, but maybe they're maybe they're waiting for Funky Ben to come and get down. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. Maybe they realize they got a star in Maggie, and they want to put a strap on him. How are we going to do that? And... Uh, I, you know, I think that'd be a great way to get it done. I, I honestly, I think from a business aspect, I think 65, 65, 85 is a great idea. Um, you know, and Tyron has disclosed to me before that there's a possibility he might move up. Um, so, you know, that's something that we've talked about even before this deal was made. Um, you know, I don't really know what his time frame on that is or anything, but it's going to be a possibility in the future. Now you can make 165, no problem. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, I'd have to do some work to get there, but I uh, I made 163 for the Olympics and all the trials and all the other tournaments and stuff. So yeah, I mean I've I've been down there. I know what that feels like. I don't really love it, and it's a lifestyle change for me. But I can definitely do it. By the way, real quickly, I want to play a word association game with you. We'll do that in just a minute. But uh, your your very quick reaction to the World Championships recently? You got to be on cloud nine with how well USA Men's Freestyle Wrestling is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you know what? I got my own wrestling podcast called the Rudest Wrestling Podcast. And so, man, we had two whole, we actually, we had three episodes dedicated to the world championships. Um, so I got to, I got to talk all about it. I love it. I followed it very closely this year. Uh, America did great. We came home with three gold medals, uh, seven total medals. We did lose to Russia in, in the point totals, but it, you know, it was, a, it was a very close contested race. So yeah, we were very happy with how that went down. 
By the way, um, what went wrong with Kyle Snyder in that uh, Sad July of? He just got. It was just one move. He got. He kind of got caught. You know the, the move. We we call it in Wisconsin. We call it the chest crush. It's like it's like a JV, JV move. Like if one of my kids in my academy came and said, "Hey Ben, I learned this great new move. It's called the chest crusher." I, I I would literally say, "Don't bother. That move sucks." I mean, you know. And, and Kyle Snyder admitted as much. I think it was one of those things that it was just it was surprise, right? Kyle Snyder didn't foresee a scenario when freaking uh, Abdul Rashid Sajulai was going to try a chest crusher, and he did so. I think that's I think that's what it comes down to. I, obviously, I don't think that that result will happen similarly in the future. And you know, I, I'm already looking forward to those guys matching up in 2019. All right, I'm going to read you. Uh, I'm going to say some names. I want you to say the first thing that comes to your head when I say their names. Okay? Yeah, this game always gets me in trouble, but sure, why not? Jeez, Ben, you've been causing trouble the last week, man. I, I yeah, doubt. That's why I, I said, why not? I said, why not? <laughs> All right, number one, Habib Nurmagomedov. Amazing grappler, who I will beat up. George St. Pierre. Legend of the sport, who I will also beat up. <laughs> Colby Covington. Total jabroni, rip-off version of me in every single way. Now, let me ask you about that very quickly. Like, you guys are both yeah. politically aligned. You both have wrestling backgrounds. What is your objection to him? My objection is he's a moron. His lines are written for him. His wrestling sucks. Uh, and... He, he's appealing to the lowest common denominator of MMA fans by, by the people who are writing the lines are realizing like the stupid shit people will react to, and then he's saying it. And there's just a much more eloquent way to say things. And it's like, if you're so dumb and so desperate that you got to play the Donald Trump card to get people interested in it, because that does get people interested in 2018, because if you look at any news source, that like everything revolves around what Donald Trump's doing, right? So... I just think I think he's playing the lowest common out of there. I think his wrestling sucks. I think his fighting is not very good. Um, and and I just I just generally don't like the guy. I think he's a moron. All right, uh, Darren Till. He's a he's a young punk, total young punk. I will whip his ass. Rafael dos Anjos. I will make him humble. <laughs> Rafael dos Anjos. Oh, I like him. Uh, I got I don't know. I got nothing against him. I like him a lot. All right, uh, Stephen Thompson. Uh, I got nothing against him except karate's not going to work against me. It's that simple. Try that shit. I'm going to throw you on your back and punch you in your face. Robbie Lawler. Uh, I don't know. I like him too. Uh, right. fan of him in Washington forever. Um, you know, he's lost a few fights lately. Looks like he's lost a step. Uh, that's it. I got, I got no ill will. Just, just a few more of these. Demi and Maya. Uh, Great grappler, but obviously in his last like, he lost three or four in a row, he's kind of been kind of been exposed and you know, he's getting older, so maybe he's just losing the fire in his belly, but yeah, he had a damn great run there. Um and now I I don't maybe I, I could be wrong, but I think he's lost like three in a row. Two more. Kamara Usman. Uh I like him. He I knew him from I knew him when he was Marty Usman. I believe that that's the same person. Uh when he was wrestling for UNK. Uh, I, I, I gotta be honest. I have, I haven't seen him fight, uh, but I, I hear he's pretty good. So I, I don't know. I got nothing, nothing for him or against him. Last thing, uh, Jorge Masvidal. Oh, he's a bum. I mean, listen, I train with, this is the thing about these idiots, Luke. I trained Jorge Masvidal when I've been training MMA for two and a half months in Coconut Creek, Florida in like December, 2008. I was beating him up then. I was doing MMA for two and a half months. 
and he was no problem for me. Like, give me a break, dude. And that's why he's on here talking on Twitter. Like, listen, you sucked. Compared to me, you sucked when I've been here for two and a half months. Like, imagine what would happen now. I'm going to take you down. You're going to act tough. You're going to talk all crazy. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to punch you in the face repeatedly, and the rest is going to stop it. That's that simple. Ben, you got a, a big task ahead, but I know you're up for the challenge. We really I appreciate it. I love the challenge. Hey, man, we really appreciate your time, and congratulations. I'm looking forward to seeing what you make of this opportunity. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. See ya. All right. There he goes. Ben Askren. Never short on opinions, is he? Kind of like your boy. Uh, all right. Keep those uh, tweets coming. Use the hashtag TheMMAHour. As always, leave us a voicemail, 844-866-2468. You can also just email to us, TheMMAHour at VoxMedia.com. Thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time, stay frosty. Stay frosty.